Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hello and welcome to And That's Why We Drink in the arena. Was that helpful? No. I am Christine and today I'm wearing my hat. Last week Em was wearing their hat from our friend Lizzie, which yours says pantsless burrito, but also everybody commented like, who's going to tell Em that that actually means ass and like donkey in spanish which i was like that's a good point because like burrow means i mean donkey. i i know what it means but do you think so I'm you're a stop? pantsless asshole okay that actually fits a lot better i literally am not wearing pants right now just so oh yeah i mean i didn't think you were and if you I, were, i'd be concerned and i am a burro so yeah i'm not uh, who's shocked you're a burrito what about your uh, hat so I'm wearing my hat, which is Surfer Rojo, which um, in remember when I when I read it, I said, oh, it sounds like I'm on my period, like I'm surfing the red wave. And Lizzie <laughs> literally put a little clip art of someone surfing on a menstrual pad. I, like, and earlier, it's even I were on Zoom. Hysterical you that got... you're calling it a clip art, by the way, because there's no way that was a clip art. Okay, so before you got on, Eve and I were chatting and I was like, there's no way like Microsoft put this in their clip art adi- like expansion. So I don't know like how... Either she has, and then I was like, maybe it's a, a hidden skill Lizzie has of like creating really strange clip art, which I, I feel like that's a really important skill to to. It's amplify. one of those skills where like you don't know how powerful you are until someone desperately needs you, and <laughs> yeah. until until you have a really sudden use for this skill that you've been hiding. Next, yeah. next time we need to like embroider hats with weird logos, we're gonna have to hire her to be like a like a little designer or something. But which actually knowing us will probably happen sooner than we. Think. I'm gonna have to uh, use her for my escape rooms one day. And be like i'm gonna need someone surfing a, a maxi pad please thank you well i've got that already you can <laughs> just borrow my hat um so i'm very pleased about this i can just wear this to signal to everyone that i am uh, on the rag as they Yikes! say Yikes! Well, uh, as offensive people well, say well I, I mean that is a, a probably a nice indicator for others just just so they know just like oh you need extra chocolate today step back yeah 
is what it says to everybody. And I'll listen, by the way. So (laughs) You will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, M, hello. Why do you drink this week? A lot of people were like, oh, it was so nostalgic for you to say that last week. So I'm going to try to bring us back to our roots. M, what do you drink and why do you drink? Today I drink water, which, like, by the way, they're not a sponsor of ours. But if you sure would like to be. Water? No, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) But the cup that I'm drinking out of is a silly pint. I, like, fucking love them. So. uh, What's that? Oh, it's, like, wiggly. Yeah, you have them. I. I know you have them because I gave them to you for your bachelorette party. So you. Oh, uh-huh. yes, I do. Have them, That's right. Yeah, they're definitely yeah, yeah. not in my cabinet yet. Oops. Uh, no, they're the if you don't know, silly S.I.L.I., by the way. But they're um, they're the silicone cups. So if you drop them, they don't break and all that. Um, I don't think you ever gave me those. For my bachelorette party, huh? Because we had a solo cup. I'm like, I, I definitely would They're, not have. They were the pink if you ones. Gave me one. They were the pink ones. They, they were definitely in your old cup. No, no, I have little plastic ones that say. Mm-hmm. No, no, they have plastic ones that say. Um, bridal or something about bridal party and then i'm the bride but they're plastic well they're not. then you went cheap cheapo don't on me on that buy one. yourself that, uh, any silly pines then because i'm on my way with with a purchase for you yeah i'm like and i've never even held one of those oh. i don't i think i would remember oh no well they also make wine glass ones so like it's oh. so like if you drop them they don't shout it's literally just silicone so it's all wiggly waggly but i literally just went into a recess of my brain to look at the photos from that uh bachelor party i was like solo cup solo cup yeah no i don't think we have okay any. Don't get yourself one then because it'll be a future present for me. But you can also get like your own designs on them. So this one's from Fredericksburg. Um, Oh, that's very cute. But yeah. So anyway, they also have glow in the dark ones, which I have like three of them in my cupboard. Of course you do. They really glow. You probably bought them for me and then kept them is what I'm imagining happened. That could be it. But anyway, I'm drinking water out of a silly pint. And um, why do I drink? Well, because I texted you a few things last night in in the middle of... Let me let me pretend like you didn't just say that because I I want to actually preface. Um, I didn't know if this was going to be part of this segment, but uh, it could be. It could be. Everybody, Let's... just stop listening and now listen again. <laughs> hey, do you, I've been wondering? Do you have an idea for a creepy coat? Yeah, creepy coat or creepy coat? A creepy coat. Creepy coat. You know, creepy coat. Um, yeah, I do know. Definitely, you do know. What that I texted is. Christy in the middle of the night, and I was like, "Next time we're speaking, let me know all about. Uh, ask me about four twenty three a.m. my time. <laughs> ask me on the show tomorrow about my idea for a capital C creepy capital C coat. You know what? And I said, okay. <laughs> I th- also, before that, I was going to say the reason why I drink is the other thing I texted you, which is I'm a hundred percent sure that I am in love with Tiana Paris. Okay, because that actually came in a weird time because I have a new love too <gasps> that I'm like actually really, 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 really Uh-oh. sweating. Is over, it Jude so- Law? Who? <laughs> yes. How did you know? Well, you tell yours first. I don't want to. I don't want to okay. steal your thunder. Well, if anyone's watching Wandavision. The second I laid eyes on Tiana Paris, I was like, "Uh-oh, I'm in trouble." Especially the when second I-, I laid eyes, I went, "Oh my gosh!" Who oh, I sent that? I sent Christine a plethora of photos of Tiana Paris last night too. God, wow, she is unmatched. And also the the wild part is, I started Wandavision ninety percent to stare at Lizzie Olsen the whole time, and now I've got two people to look at. Oh my goodness. Um, but no, I'm beautiful. I'm in love with her. If you don't know yet, she's uh, the new Captain Marvel, which is ironic because I just broke up with <sighs> Brie Larson in my mind, and now I'm in love with the new Captain Marvel. So you just have a thing for the cape. Neither of them have capes. That's the craziest oh. part. <laughs> I, I like. I just make up bullshit about. I actually kind of read that as like a like the trope of like oh the cape, aka super. You have a thing for the, the cape, superheroes, wink, wink. the superheroes. Yeah, well, you do. But uh, yeah, so I guess out with the old and with the new. Sorry, Miss Bree, but Tiana Paris is my new love. This picture, 
She can't be stopped. I think, she, I think we finally are just like smitten with one of the same people, and I don't even know who she is. She could punch me in the face, and I'd say thank you. Can I have some more? Um, <laughs> sorry, who, who who are you in love with? Okay, this is like okay. Tell me. I'm gonna tell you. Is it me? No. Oh my god, I can see. Yes. <laughs> Surprise! Oh. Blaze is packing up his belongings as we speak. I'll get my plane ticket ready. Finally, we can <laughs> we can announce it. Uh, no, Natalie Morales, Natalie Morales. I don't know that. Who is, who is she? My God. What's she I'm on like, or in? So I only know her from, so she might recognize her. Oh, I kind of recognize? recognize her. She was in, um, God, it's a Netflix show that I watched a while ago. And then I watched it again because I was like smitten with her, dude. She's, I, girl, I'm usually attracted to men, but I was watching this and going like, she's, she's got a Rosario Dawson vibe to her or like a, yes, yes. Or a, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's beautiful. It's been a long time since I've been like really, really actually uh, aggressively smitten with somebody. I was like looking at her Instagram, like, oh my God, it's problem. It's a problem. I had to like stop looking at her Instagram because I was like, this is really ridiculous. Like you're married. Um, and <laughs> it's really convenient that Blaze just started actually listening to the podcast for the first time in three years. So this is going to be a <laughs> he fun He sensed it. His spidey senses were like, what is going on? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I already told him this because I couldn't stop talking about it. But man, I'm, I, I, it's, I have a I have a man crush right now, which like it's a toxic one because like he's like personality wise, I don't know if I vibe with it. But we've been watching a lot of Below Deck, and there's a chef on there named Adam who's just a cutie pie. He's just a cutie, and uh, but so we've been watching a lot of Below Deck, and I out loud said like I get it. He's like so handsome and beautiful, and then I was like, why did I say that? But then I was like, you know what? This is the year of not giving a fuck about who you're attracted yeah. to. It's all a spectrum, man. It's all a spectrum. I mean, Which is ironic because Tiana Paris's version of Captain Mar- Marvel later becomes Spectrum. Ironic. Okay. Ah! <laughs> it's all a spectrum. It's all a spectrum. Uh, okay, anyway. okay, let me show you another picture. Please do. Oh, yeah, she's a cutie pie. Okay, I get it. That picture did it more for me than the other one. Oh, my God. It's really bad. So, so I need to stop. Is she why you drink? Because you can't hold her at night is that why <laughs> well okay so then warner brothers reached out on email and was like oh we're gonna send you this fun box of stuff for an upcoming movie starring her and i was like ah so i did a little unboxing video and it has um i was about to say it has jude law oh my god christine <laughs> uh it has denzel washington and some other um fun people uh rami malik but yeah so she's in it so i've just so I, like re-entered she re-entered my brain is i guess what uh-huh. i'm saying yesterday it's almost like now is the moment the universe held off for a while uh, and now wants you to relove her to talk about it on air great so anyway that wasn't even why i drink but when you when you re- reminded me of the photos you sent me last night i was like oh yeah uh i'm also in love so that's a problem um anyway well i'm happy I'm so for happy you. yeah good for oh. us and our partners <laughs> who are going to be pissed well to answer your question about why i drank uh, beyond miss paris slash future miss schultz um <laughs> uh the creepy coat so i have for a long time i'll just say this real quick because i want to ask why you drink also but i for a long time have been secretly in love with like patches like jacket oh patches. yeah love patches and I've just never had, like, I don't, I still don't have, like, a, a, a jacket coat. that's, like, worthy of, like, yeah. patching up and stuff. And I was always, like, I don't know, like, maybe I'm, like, too old for that now. Or, like, maybe that's not, like, my vibe. Or maybe I would look weird wearing that. 
But I've just got says the person wearing literal fucking fish on their feet says, oh, that might be too weird for me. I have to, it might be too weird for me because at least people expect fish on my feet. People don't expect me to That's like true. do something that They'd like, be like could are potentially... you having a quarter life crisis or something? Yeah. Yeah. It might look like I'm like, like with fish flops, there's guaranteed zero real style behind it. But like with a jacket with patches, it's like, oh, are you trying it's like, to are look you trying? Cool? Right. I get yeah. you. And I, I don't, you. and I'm kind of scared of that, but I've just seen too many patches I like now, and they all happen to be, like, paranormal themed. Yes. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to, when I find the right coat, that will be the universe telling me it's my moment. And I'm just going to get all the fucking patches, and I'm going to call it my creepy coat. And that's, and. Yes. So now I'm, I'm drinking because I'm, I'm excited. I'm manifesting this creepy coat coming my way, so. Oh, my gosh. Wait, that's so exciting. I have a bunch of patches, too, and I've, I have denim jackets, but I've never, like, committed to which jacket right. to put them on so i have a big pile of them i have and i have a mothman i have a bigfoot um they're all like paranormal for some reason yeah so we could have both have creepy coats also my big thing is like i have such a struggle with like if i find the right coat it's like oh i already found the right coat without patches on it and i like how it right. looks like now am i am i gonna ruin it by putting patches all over it so then i like get in my own head of like like should i damage something that already looks great or potentially damage it or do i find something kind of gross and amp it up like i don't know how it's, it's like gonna go. i feel like it's a reflection because i'm the same way and i feel like it's a reflection of me with stickers when i was little because i was just so scared to like put them on like yeah. i was obsessed with stickers but then i was like well i don't want to commit to putting them on something and then never mm-hmm. and so then i just had a fucking box of stickers that's like okay now i just have these stickers that i never got to use and you know well put because on there's always like that one popular girl who fucking knew interior design by eight and like knew how to like put the stickers on the journal so it all looked beautiful but then when i would put stickers on it would just look like a fucking mess and they would get like hair stuck to them and i was like now i'm that girl again who i'm and- always that weird german girl covered in hair <laughs> well that's my big fear when it comes to like like i have the sticker phobia with patches i'm like what if i don't know how to place these like yeah totally and then fuck you're committing it up. and gemini's don't like that feeling of committing uh-uh and i uh-uh. also not only do i fuck up the jacket i fuck up the patches like i'd have to that's rebuy the them the worst and part. the jacket I need to like so special. I need to collect a bunch and then give them to someone who knows what they're fucking doing and just say like give it to me when it's done. Okay. Creepy coat status. Creepy coat. Anyway, what In are you process. drinking and why do you drink? Well, I mean, I'm drinking water also um out of my favorite cup which like Blaze always makes fun of me, but it's this random cup. Your um, car cup? Yes, my car cup. Ugh. How do you know about my car cup? Because you don't shut it? up about it, Christine. <laughs> Blaze always makes fun of me. So I had this cup. I bought my car from Carvana, which is just like a website where you don't have to talk to humans to buy a car. So that's where I bought my car like a few years ago. Um, very much a used car, but but I was very excited and proud. It was my first car I ever bought. And with the car, I love free shit. With the car, they gave me this like water cup or this like tumbler. I don't know what it's called. Plastic tumbler. And it just says Carvana. Um, and I just developed like this weird like I would only drink water out of it and if I was using this cup I would drink like all the water and I'm very bad at drinking like I used to go days without ever drinking water or like weeks without drinking water and so finally I had this cup and then one day I dropped it in the driveway and it like splintered into a million pieces and I 
was devastated. And Blaze was like, look, here on Amazon, it's the exact same cup. And I was like, no, it isn't. That's not a Carvana cup. And so I went on the Carvana like customer service site and said, like, where can I buy a cup? And they were like, here's an actual link to buy the cup because I guess you can just, instead of buying a car, just buy a cup with the brand on it. I like it. how they were, someone at customer service that day was like, holy shit, this person wants a fucking, this is the first person to ever ask us for our cup. Yeah, like like tech, tech office, put up a link to buy this cup, I guess, because one person wants it. And so I ordered it, and it's like my prized possession. I'm a huge weirdo, but I love my cup, my car cup. Um, Leave it to Christine to get weirdly attached to something that makes no sense. And also, (laughs) the only reason I know about it is because I was with you like the day after it shattered, and you were like in a deep depression about it. And I was like, "What is your fucking deal?" And I looked like SpongeBob when he was out of the water because I was like, (gasps) and you were like, "What's wrong?" And Blaze was like, "Christine won't drink water out of any." I'm like a child, like. She needs her sippy cup or else she won't drink her water. The Carvana cup is your fishbowl and Sandy Cheese's (laughs) planetarium or terrarium or whatever it is. Yes, it is. And anyway, so I'm drinking water out of my cup. Thank you for asking. And I'm drinking water. We're both so boring this week, but I'm drinking water because I'm in a place with winter for the first time in like six years or five years. I don't know how long. Are you feeling dry? Yes. And I'm like crusty. Sorry. That's gross. But my skin is always very dry because I a have dry skin and b never drink water and so I'm trying to force myself to actually drink water because like wine definitely does the opposite for your Mm. water intake um I can gather that (laughs) yeah so I'm I'm in a winter spot it's very cold 5 30 in the morning Gio has to go pee it is like 17 degrees out and uh it's not a fun time but um it's kind of cool for a minute i'm sure by next month they'll be like get me out of here well we're now it's cute when it snows i'm like oh we're enjoying our winter right now but i have this like weird la winter where it's like it hits 40 or 50 at night for Mm -hmm. five minutes and then it goes back to like the 60s or 70s but like um i have this weird issue where after so many years of living in la once it gets cold i know that our winter is so short and not only is it so short, but it instantly goes to fucking blazing hot. Yep. That, like, even though I'm trying to appreciate it, I have, like, this weird paranoia of, like, oh, my God, is tomorrow the day it's fucking hot? Is tomorrow the day it's fucking hot? So I can't <laughs> So I can't just relax and chill and out. And enjoy the co- – yeah. Our very first uh, – when we first moved to L.A. and we were here through the Boston University program, we had, like, an orientation where basically one of the professors taught us about L.A. And one of the only takeaways I have from that is when they said – once it hits February, that's the rainy season where it rains once and people freak out and then it gets cold. And then like a month later, it's the hottest it'll ever be all over again for another 11 months. And <laughs> Yeah, truly. It's like a place I, of extremes. Yes. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. But there's no way that they mean that. There's no way. There's no way. And then the first time we were there, we were here in January, February. By like March 1st, it feels like you're in hell again. And so I was like... So now every time it, it gets cold, I'm just waiting for the day that you I'm miserable. You can't enjoy sweater weather. Yes. Sweater and weather. Sweater weather. And I do like uh, my layers and my comfy clothes. So I am enjoying that, especially because I don't need to leave the house. So I don't need to look presentable. So I just wear fuzzy clothes all the time. Um, so I guess I'm drinking for cold, but that's all. It's not very interesting. So sorry I talked about it for 10 minutes. Um, anyway, that's all I've got. I'm drinking, I'm drinking with you though. And that like, I wish I got to experience the cold for longer than five seconds. So. It, it's like, I'm not, I don't hate it. 
yet. I think I'll hate it when it's so gloomy that like, I think I hated it more when I worked outside of home and had to drive into work at like 6 a.m. every day Mm. back in the day or go to school. That I did not like. When I'm at home, it's easier because you don't have to like leave the house. You can just stay cozy. That's true. Um, So I don't know. Listen, I I will always find a reason to complain, as you all know. So here we are complaining. Welcome. Welcome. We've had... We have a show literally called And That's Why We Drink. So like And why? Think- Don't ask, because you're gonna get an answer a lot of answers. <laughs> More answers than you wanted. By now you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department Love that thing. And that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. Uh, so my story this this week, by the way, uh, I hope you're excited because it's a it's a, a UFO tale. I'm always excited, and now I'm even more excited. I was going to say I'm excited, but then you said UFO, and my pitch just like automatically increased. <laughs> you I'm went, very excited. You went up an octave. I love ah! it. Wait, okay, sorry. Before we do this, I know there was one thing we had to mention, which is that we were on Let's Not Meet. We did oh, we shared yes. stories on Let's Not Meet and we never mentioned it. And um I was just I wanted to throw that out there as part of the intro. No, we were we definitely forgot, part of but... Let's Not Meet and uh Andrew was very kind to us and had us on. Actually-
actually the the reason we even got on was because there was an exchange on Twitter again, yeah, which uh, is just proof that like if you want it, ask for it and see what happens. Well, it's funny because somebody wrote, "I want you guys to be on Let's Not Meet," and then literally two hours later, it was like, "Just kidding! I just found the episode where Christine is on Let's Not Meet." <laughs> but then we were like, "Well, we'll do it again." Yeah, <laughs> like, someone said or someone mind. said something like, "Oh, now that Christine's been on there, uh, we should get M." And then within seconds, I was like. Okay, and then Andrew DM'd us. So, I mean, it worked out really yeah. well. So Technology makes it easy nowadays to do these fun crossovers. So, anyway, thank you, Andrew. That was a blast. Um, and it was also the week that My Favorite Murder mentioned Let's Not Me on their podcast, which obviously was huge. So I was like, shit, man, he's blowing up. So check them out. Um, it's a great show. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I knew we were going to forget. No, no, that's totally fine. Um so our my story today is a UFO story, and it is the Japan Airlines flight 1628. Um, so this is in uh, 1986, and this is uh, this took place November 17th, and basically there was this uh, Japanese Boeing 747, and it was a cargo aircraft that was en route from Paris to Narita International Airport. Um, it was near Tokyo, and uh, it was. The cargo it was carrying was a bunch of wine. Oh, um, oh God. <laughs> oh, my God. You and didn't also, prepare me for that. And also a stowaway named Christine. Um, <laughs> was, that's all the wine disappeared. And they think it was a UFO. Christine, who was negative five, all of a sudden <laughs> was hammered. Um, that was good math, though. Thank you. I, look, uh-huh. I'm really good with the negatives. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was, the wine specifically was called Beaujolais. It's from France. <gasps> Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Selena and I always drink that when we can save up the money because it's like 15 or 20 bucks. So it's pricey. Oh, in shit. My, in my world, it's pricey because I drink a whole bottle of it at once. But it's like, yeah, 20 <laughs> bucks. But it's good. Well, there you go. So it was literally carrying Beaujolais. Beaujolais? Beaujolais, yeah. Okay. It's, uh, that's at least how Selena and I say it. I don't know if that's actually correct. I like but. how it sounds a little bougie. Uh, it, it does. It's almost like uh, it feels like you're... I drank it in Florida too, so it was very um, non-bougie experience <laughs> drinking it, uh, buying it at like a mini mart. But it's it's good, it's good stuff. Well, fun fact: Japan is the number one export for Beaujolais, and actually in 2019, I think around five million bottles were exported from Japan. Ooh. So that's about fifty percent of the total exported volume too. So holy shit, they're into that Beaujolais French wine. Ja- I guess Japan that's is into crazy. it. So uh, this is an excerpt, by the way, I don't know if I want to, I'm going to say it, I didn't want to give anything away, so I just wanted to double check. But in 1995, so years, years later, there was an excerpt by a MUFON member um, Mm. named Jay Harper. He wrote an article called Alaska UFO Mothership Revisited. And uh, this is an excerpt from it saying, uh, the captain boarded the plane before dawn in Iceland with two other members of the flight crew. So there was a co-pilot and a flight engineer. And uh, the takeoff weight from Iceland was at its max. So there was nothing else that the that the plane could carry. Um, I think it was like like almost 800,000 pounds or something. Oh, boy. And they have they're in the air for about four hours. And that's where the story kind of takes place. So on the flight's leg to Anchorage at 5.11 at night over eastern Alaska, the crew sees two UFOs on their left. (gasps) All three members see the UFOs following them. So the co-pilot, the flight engineer, and Captain Tarachi, 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 who, by the way, he's like an ex 
fighter pilot with like thousands and thousands of hours of flight experience so if he says he's seeing a ufo i'm kind of inclined to believe him yeah it's not his first time in the skies he's not like what's that it's not, his, not, yeah. his, not yeah. his first rodeo that makes it more uh somehow believable in a way this is uh, a quote from captain tarachi of the experience they were flying parallel and then suddenly approached very close the things were flying as if there was no thing as 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 if there was no such thing as gravity it sped up, oh. then stopped, then flew at our speed in our direction so that to us, it appeared to be standing still. So it was just staying perfectly. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Like a helicopter. Yeah. Ooh. The next instant, it changed course. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity. So it's just defying physics left and right, uh, keeping in tune with them. Defying gravity. Okay, I'm not going to say that. It's not pretty. Oh, Alphaba. No. So it, a year, not even a year later, only two months later after the incident happened in November 86, January 87, the New York Times was writing about it. And Tarauchi said that two of the lights were very small. To me, it sounds big, but I guess if you're a captain in an airplane, this is small. That the two of the lights were really small. They were no larger than eight feet wide. But the third light appeared to be on an aircraft and really big. Okay. Yeah, eight feet does sound big, but I guess... Yeah, you're right. Maybe not. It sounds relatively. big when I'm thinking of like standing next to it, but not yeah. looking out a window. <laughs> when it's taller than you. Yeah. <laughs> so he also said that the lights that he saw were yellow, amber, and green, but they were not red because, not because, but he would have remembered if they were red because red is the international color for an aircraft beacon. And so oh. he would have noticed if it was red, but he remembers it being yellow, amber, and green. Okay. The co-pilot named Takanori Tamafuji. Very Woo! Fun name. Uh, compared the lights to like Christmas lights, but with a salmon color. Which Ew. Is interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, that sounds like Florida, like salmon colored yeah. <laughs> Christmas lights. Yeah. Flamingo lights. Um, <laughs> and he said, I remember red or orange and white landing light and weak green blinking. Apparently, the co pilot also said that he remembers the lights fading, kind of like, um, you know, how if you have these days, lights have different settings and you can do like the pulsing, the slow mm-hmm. pulse. He remembers lights doing that. He says that they remember, he remembers them becoming stronger and then weaker and then stronger and then weaker, which is different from strobe lights, which move really fast. Sure. Okay. That was how he remembers it of like, they weren't strobe lights. They were really like undulating is the word he used. Undulating. Yeah. Uh, The lights were moving in unison as if they were two aircrafts with quote, very good formation. So like super synchronized, which is just uh-huh. the worst. Just the it's somehow I don't know why, but that makes it so much creepier. Any anything where two items are able to synchronize freaks me out because I'm like you shouldn't be that in tune. Like it's what just, about our friendship lamps? That's that I bought us precious, but also creepy to like very imagine, creepy. Imagine if you're from the 1100s and that happened. That'd be creepy, you know. Well, I think a lot of things would be. I think my my surfing on a menstrual pad would be creepy if you were from the 1100s. This podcast, so that's they'd be like, what? <laughs> this we'd be already on a, on a stake somewhere. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna switch your. I figured out you could change the color coding of these friendship lamps. So I'm gonna turn to your salmon tonight and see what happens. Oh, if I you love that. Call the call Mufon your Mufon. Friends. Have you been Have you been uh, seeing 
thing be changed a lot or no? No, because I it said you need to update it. By the way, all you all, I just logged into our like friendship lip. I finally set it up and it was like, Linda is part of your family. And I went, Linda? And Em was like, yeah, I bought her a friendship lamp and synced it to mine. So now she's in our like family, our group chat via friendship lamp, which is hysterical. So apparently you can get different lights that all sync up to like different things. So you can have different relationships with different lamps. But I found out that because when you got us friendship lamps, you got them as a set. And so they have a different factory setting. Yeah, that's my favorite thing is that I bought us a set. And then Em was like, here, mom, you can have your own. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that there was a factory setting where like ours were the only ones linked to each other. So I thought like, oh, you got me one. That's a great idea. I'll save that for my mom. And so for Christmas, I got her lamp thinking that her and I could have our own lamp relationship. You and I could have our own lamp yeah, relationship. Yeah, I'm trying to share our relationship with other people. It's fine. Apparently, it's like a group chat. And so now anytime that Christine or I do mean something for each other, my mom's going to see her light glow. Which so. is actually how it should be. She Every time we think of each other, she's like, <laughs> yep, I'm important. So I think that's actually I, pretty spot on. I'm inserting myself into the narrative. Uh, but yeah, so sorry Remember about that. time she wanted to fly to LA to like just be get a guest on the podcast and we were like two weeks in and you were like, wait, what? This woman really, I got to give her credit uh, in terms of confidence. Uh, <laughs> also, like, tell me, this is not the bougiest thing you've ever heard in your life. Oh, she. God. Think of, for those of you who are new, welcome. But my mother is like kind of a combination of like Chris Jenner and Moira Rose. And so, yeah, you'll meet. Oh, that's a great. Oh, and uh, Lucille Blue. And it's Lucille a great Blue. It's, trio. Yeah. It's like if all three of them just had like <laughs> the most An interest, alien child. The most interesting characteristics all put together. But um, <laughs> so I'm not even 29 yet. And my mother's already planning my 30th birthday. And because uh, we made a deal a long time ago, she would plan my 30th and I would plan her 60th. And they happen to happen in the same year, which happens to be 2022, which is our lucky number. So it's like a big deal Aww. to only us. But she literally has been texting me. It's so interesting that like I must have just changed a lot since the last time I lived under her roof and she knew everything about me because the things that she's sending me are like things that are just like not my cup of tea like Ooh, like what like Christine she literally said like so I'm looking at this one company and you can rent a tiger do you want a tiger at your birthday party <gasps> oh my God. What? Is that what you were into? Like, what do you mean? No, but I think I used to, like, because I lived under her roof, I just, like, didn't know any better. And, like, I just thought that was a normal ask. And, like, now I'm just, like... Sorry, that was a normal ask under your roof? Can I rent a tiger? <laughs> I think it was what just... What is going on? I think Am I, was, like, losing it? I think I was just used to, like... Like, you know how you leave your home when you get older and then you're like, oh, that wasn't normal? I think I... Yeah, I mean, I thought I knew that, but I guess I don't actually know it because you seem to know it on a different level. I think I think my mom was just always like... I mean, I never got anything like a fucking tiger for a birthday, but I think like her... I think it's, we kind of have that same personality trait of like look at the most fucking ridiculous things possible Uh and like and then narrow it down once you figure out like where their interests lie and so i think she was really starting fucking broad with like do you want a tiger okay i love that you were like my mom never actually gave me a tiger and i'm like she's literally offering to get you a tiger right now i know but before people think uh it was like super silver spoons and like i just am used to zoos at my house i just like I'm used to her asking really wild, lavish okay, things. Okay, I have a question. This is my level of like, of like, sil- bougie whateverness. Yeah. Did you ever get a bouncy castle rented for you? 
No, but I do think I was, uh, I think if I asked, maybe it would have been on the table. But I, you know what's really fucking bougie? Um, And to be fair, like, we have grown out of this lifestyle. (laughs) I'm not this type of person. But I remember, like, my mom really wanted to throw me, like, a huge birthday party when I was a little kid. I remember her saying something about, like, wanting to, like, have a clown at a birthday party. And then, like... I feel like she like made a joke about pony rides. I don't remember, but I you I'm, had ponies. I'm kind of scared there might have been a pony ride situation. <gasps> I don't because re- that was my next question. I was like, ponies are above bouncy house in my book. I certainly well, never the, got a pony sad, or a bouncy house. The sad thing is, I don't even remember it. I was so young. Like I like I I don't think memory had you started. You probably building. traumatized. I, I mean, probably, I don't know. I was probably like, yo, this isn't a fucking tiger. I don't even want it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's my tiger? Um, but but so, no, so my wow. so my mom's was asking like all these wild questions were like i literally i want a superhero party like i had last year or like i want to like go to an escape room like a slumber party a slumber party <laughs> i literally had a all i wanted for my 20th birthday was to have a sleepover with my friends on seven dollar walmart mattresses that's what i wanted and my mother's out here like do you want a tiger and i'm like i respect the fact that you're really trying to gauge my interest like to the fullest extent but like we can we can really rein it in here. But like, I can see the connection though. I feel like you're very extra. Like I feel like you would do that for your child someday. Like you would I mean not a tiger cuz we all know now that's very inhumane, but I think Oh yeah. Uh I think uh you would definitely like go all out and rent like the Amityville house or some shit. I feel like you would for sure do well, that. Well, so I think the reason the tiger thing happened because like yes, my mother is very bougie and I by the way like want to like take the moment to say like I'm very aware of the privilege that's there and that like I'm very lucky that I grew up with a mom who could provide me with truly whatever I wanted tigers if I fucking wanted them I think my mom's also very lucky that she got a kid who doesn't want any of that shit (laughs) I was gonna say actually that's an interesting combo yeah but at the same time I I do think I have to give her credit in that like that's how my wanting to give people really wild presents yeah no I see the connection yeah and the only the reason that she, I think she brought the tigers is because for my 28th birthday, when I was saying that I won my superhero party, I told her, by the way, do you know there's a company out there where like you can like rent puppies? And, oh, like, yes. I remember this. And you can like apparently there's like a handler comes with you and like it's basically for your birthday, you get like five hours of a basket of a basket of puppies and someone comes with them to like clean up the pee and poo and all that but basically you get to cuddle puppies and then they go somewhere else afterwards and i was like that sounds like a fantastic business plan like why haven't we Mm-hmm. just like really as a generation looked into that more <laughs> like because oh, nickelodeon you... used to have puppy days and they would bring puppies to like we had like full colleges days. have have like yeah colleges during exam week exactly puppy i days. think our generation also, hardcore leaned into puppy days i think the company also had like uh they would bring paperwork so, like if you fell in love with one and you wanted you to can like, adopt them yeah adopt or foster i think it's a great thing and so my mom heard like animal rentals and then really went over the fucking top but so uh i I was like, yo, I just wanted like a little golden retriever puppy to just like sit on me for a couple hours. That was it. (laughs) So anyway, I'm probably giving people a a really bad look at like. No, uh, we both had weird upbringing. I mean, we had weird upbringings in different ways. So I think people are used to it. And we all know Linda. We're not surprised by Linda's behavior at this point. I'm telling you, Moira Rose, Kris Jenner, Lucille Bluth. They're just like, oh, you want a tiger? Okay. But like, again, also, like, thank God that's not my cup of tea i just wanted a fucking puppy and if it wasn't available i understood it was probably with like a much smarter college student who needed it smarter (laughs) college student during exam week (laughs) 
Uh, but no, so anyway, I don't know how we got on that topic. I don't either. I think um, I think you said, do you want to know something bougie? Hmm. So I guess so. Oh, because we, we were talking about the lamps. What lamps? Oh, Who, the friendship lamps. Because the... <laughs> I said Linda showed up and she inserted herself. Remember when she wanted to fly to LA to be on the show? Yes, that was, I mean, that was like just a very so small. So I said I was going to turn your friendship lamp into salmon color so you could call MUFON. That's all. It was a very, it was a very small uh, taste that she wanted to insert herself. Listen, last into our week everyone podcast. got a bear, a bear update. This week they get a Linda update. That's just how it goes here. Bears and tigers. So now we all lions all we and need tigers is... and bears. Oh my, Linda's. Week, hold on, Linda's and tigers and bears. Now they Linda's. bear and Linda would put on a bonanza. My mother, when I was like, "Do I get a bridal shower?" She's like do you expect me to pay for something like that? So like, that is not how uh, my mother behaves. But my father would definitely be on board with like a pretty uh, bonkers situation. He would probably make it a little bit off. Like everything would be like off brand or like something from Germany. That's like, instead of an iPhone when I, or an iPod when I was little, he got me an iRiver. Um, so I think- like instead of, instead of Kirkland blueberries, you well instead of like just real like fresh blueberries you got Kirkland yes dried exactly blueberries. <laughs> yeah so I think I think Linda would need to like be the head honcho and like monitor well uh just for those listening if you are interested in all of the wild adventures of Linda be prepared for the next year and a half because my 30th birthday is not even around the corner and I have to deal with requests like that coming in and rejecting them at full stop oh, I'm so amped I'm gonna text her separately be like Hit me up because I am ready to plan. Christine will be like ten tigers. Make them. (laughs) No, I watch Tiger King, man. I'm. I don't even eat meat. Um, but yeah, no. My mom texted me the other day. Said, "Did you know you're turning thirty this year?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "That's old." And I was like, "Screw you, lady." So don't worry. My experience is worse than yours. Uh, I don't get any. I'll give you uh, updates about the weird things my mom requests and. Thank you. So that's where we'll that's where we'll end up. And also, you will be involved at some point. So just be ready. Yes. Oh my gosh. Good luck editing that down to something. Sorry, everybody. But sorry to you. Well, this is just sorry what to we you do. editing it. No, it's fine. We'll leave it in. <laughs> okay. Too well, late. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, lights and UFOs. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. So the lights were moving in unison, as if oh, because we were talking about synchronized and the lamps. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Creepy, creepy, creepy coat. Uh, he, okay, so the captain also compared the clarity of the lights to seeing head on traffic, but he couldn't see the total shape. So he was like, this wasn't something I like blinked and it went away. Like this was something that was in my fucking face. He said that he even dimmed his own lights in the cockpit to make sure that he wasn't seeing a reflection from something else. Um, but the objects followed him for 400 miles. Oh dear. Uh, he said that he tried to get a picture of the lights and this, by the way, speaking of our parents, sounds like them trying to take a picture. Um, this is a quote from him. I thought perhaps it was one of those things called a UFO and taking a photo might help to identify the object later. The area in which the plane was flying was unchanged, but the lights were still moving strangely. The lens kept adjusting and could never get a real focus. I changed autofocus to manual focus and pressed the shutter, but this time the shutter would not close. Then our aircraft began to vibrate and I gave up. (laughs) he's like uh, there are priorities here the plane is vibrating oh god uh so six minutes later the captain reported this to uh faa air controllers in anchorage and the controllers could only see the captain's plane they were like we don't know what it is that's next to you we can't see it (gasps) and so the ufo soon after though appeared on the faa air force and cockpit radars radars sorry 
But it only showed up for a short while. But they were able to see it just show up on. Do you wonder if if the if the UFOs like heard like oh we can't see anything and then they were like here we are. That's and the then they, like, that's the Christine mind thinking there of like they're always listening. They're always listening. Yes, that's my that's my very paranoid brain of like do you think they are playing with all of us? Um, I don't know. That's what it sounds like. It does sound like it was like oh you want to see us? Intentional. Okay, here we are. Seems like they have control over whether they're able to be spotted on radar or not, which is why would they turn it on? That's an interesting note, but hold on to that because that's, okay, that's interesting. Okay. I'm holding on tight. So uh, the captain also told the UFO, uh, told uh, FAA that the UFO was staying with him, and the controllers uh, told him to take action if necessary. Which I don't know what you're going to do with a plane full of wine and just like. Take action. <laughs> and it's vibrating. You're like, right. this is going to be real messy. <laughs> um, so uh, Captain Sorochi, he decreased the plane's altitude by 31,000 feet, but the lights followed him perfectly all the way down. <gasps> That's not good for me. I'm not into that. Captain Sorochi then heard random VHF or very high frequency radio static, and he had never heard that before in his entire airline career. Um, he described them... This was his quote of how it, the static sounded. He said, it's some kind of jamming. It was just a weird noise, like, za za. And I was like, okay, bear. <laughs> okay, bear. I almost said, okay, Dan. <laughs> that sounds like my eye river malfunctioning the first day I got it. <laughs> I, I couldn't take a picture with it, and it sounded like za za. <laughs> it's not supposed to. It's not a camera, Dad. <laughs> Uh, he then turned the, this was what I think is pretty genius. So then the captain decided that he was going to turn the plane around in a full circle to see if the lights would follow him or if he would pass it or if it would, if he would, if he would lose, if he would lose it from the window, like when he's looking out, if he's turning and it's following him, that's kind of creepy. And it did follow him. No. Um, air traffic control couldn't see anything when the plane originally turned around, but within five minutes, they were able to see UFOs side by side with each other next to the plane, following it for 10 minutes. Ew, this is horrible, and I'm scared. The lights kept, and then all of a sudden they heard, Akon, oh Slim Shade. Convict. <laughs> Oh my god! And then, oh, and oh, the beautiful. No wonder there were pulsating lights. It was like my whole high school homecoming was, dance floor. It was just, it was just the club on a happy hour. Get over in it. In Florida, some salmon lights. In the beautiful. salmon lights. It, we were just in Key West. Get some over it. Sexy Key West dance club. Yeah. Uh, so the lights uh, in the club, they kept in speed as the jet moved again, and uh, basically, when the jet was about. 80 miles north of Anchorage, all of a sudden the lights vanished. Ooh, I I wonder why. I I also wonder why. This is a very long quote, but this is, uh, I mean, I just literally told you the whole story, but this quote is the exact report from Captain Tarachi, which I feel like should be heard. There's also some little details in here. So this is the whole experience according to Captain Tarachi. The distance from the lights was far enough from us, and we felt no immediate danger. I thought perhaps it was a UFO, and the lights were still moving strangely. Most unexpectedly, two spaceships appeared directly in front of the plane, shooting off lights. The spaceships, which he called it a spaceship, the spaceships fired jets to, quote, kill the inertia of their high-speed maneuver. After this, the ships appeared as if they were stopped in one place in front of us, and at the time, one ship was above the other. Then, three to seven seconds later, okay, (laughs) 
a fire like from jet engines stopped and became a small circle of lights as they began to fly level at the same speed as we were. So it's almost like it shot itself off, then it halted, then it had these little lights, and it was defying gravity the whole time. I just feel like they're always showing off these spaceships. They really are flashy with it, aren't they? Right? I mean, it's just trying to fly in and land uh, next to my apartment for my 30th birthday, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Linda called the UFO rental company. Oh, my God. My mom called uh, the International Space Station and FAA and said, like, look, we need a crash landing on this 30th. (laughs) I need a real fucking light show. You hear me? Oh, my God. (laughs) So uh, uh, where am I? So from the middle of the body of the ship, uh, from the middle of the body... Uh, a ship sparked an occasional stream of lights, like a charcoal fire from right to left, from left to right. Its shape was square, flying 500 feet to 1,000 feet in front of us. Its size was about the same size and the body of a DC-8 jet with numerous exhaust pipes. So this thing wasn't tiny. Like, this was like a big fucking jet. Right, right. Um, the inside cockpit shined brightly, and I felt the warmth of the UFO's thrusters on my face. Whoa, okay. So, like, from your own fucking plane, you oh, can no. feel the heat. It is impossible for any man-made machine to make a sudden appearance in front of a jumbo jet that's flying 910 kilometers per hour and to move along in a formation paralleling our aircraft. But we did not feel threatened or in danger. Honestly, we were simply astounded. I have no idea why they came so close to us. There was a pale white flat light in the direction where the ships flew away. So they almost like left a trail. Oh, my God. I'm nervous about this wine being skunked in the downstairs <laughs> compartment. Now that it's all been heated up by the That's thrusters. That's what I'm, tell- I'm saying. I'll take it. If it's if it's not, you know, suitable for sale, I'll take it. But it <laughs> you'll, seems you'll, like it might get skunked. You'll test it all. Yeah, I'll try it. Right. I'll be controlled. Don't just, worry. Just drop Quality land all, control. all the barrels. Just have them. Tell hit. Linda to reroute the UFO this way. <laughs> Bring the barrels to Kentucky. Christine's going to handle it. I'm ready. Um, so then after those little spaceships vanished, the crew noticed a much larger disc-shaped craft with a pale ring of light now tailing them, matching their speed and their distance and their altitude. Ooh. So it's gotten worse now. Great. <laughs> so uh, the Anchorage uh, Air Traffic Center couldn't see. They couldn't see it. So they set their radar scope to 25 nautical miles. They broadened their range. And all of a sudden, they could see it. This mm. was a quote from the Anchorage Center saying, Then there it was on the screen. A large green round object had appeared seven or eight miles away. We arrived at the sky above the Eelson Air Force Base in Fairbanks. And it was a clear night. We were just above the bright city lights and we checked the pale white light behind us. There was a silhouette of a gigantic spaceship and we got away quickly. Oh my gosh. That is freaky deaky. Basically, as they were coming into this town, Fairbanks, and the lights from the city were kind of getting closer and closer, it was showing more and more of this UFO behind them. It was like the glow was helping them see what the hell was following them. And it was this massive fucking UFO. To a point where uh, Captain Tarachi even called it the mothership. I like how earlier he was like, it might have been one of those things they call UFO. And now he's like, (laughs) it's the mothership. Like, where did he get this lingo all of a sudden? He went, speaking of mothership, now Linda is walking herself (laughs) off of the the bridge of the UFO. She's like, mothership? Who called for me? The Linda ship? Excuse me. (laughs) 
It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So it's so big that uh, Captain Tarachi's even saying that it was, quote, twice the size of an aircraft carrier. And just for um, context. Jesus, that's huge. For context, an aircraft carrier holds 64 aircrafts. Holy crap. And it said it was twice the size of an aircraft carrier. So it must have just completely blanketed the sky, in my opinion. Yeah. And I and I hate that it's like so care- precision controlled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's so massive, but it can just, like, to the exact also dimension. Also, something of- that massive, like, halting itself in space like that. Like, yes. going from super fast to just not moving. Like Yeah. It just, like, doesn't abide by gravity. No. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Uh, Tarachi actually later made a drawing of it. And the official documents say that it's walnut-shaped. But if you look at it, it literally is the shape of a fucking lemon. It's literally... <laughs> like, it's... Got these big bulges. Oh, my baby. It's this big bulges above and below with a wide brim and like two little knots. I mean, it's literally a fucking lemon. What if that literally was lemon? What if lemon? That was lemon's entrance onto this planet. Came to Earth, yeah. And he was like, oh, nothing here is this big. I need to shrink up. And he went too far. He like- He mummified. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He he ant-manned himself and then he like rolled under a bed. It's like an- (laughs) It's like Wait a in a, on ancient aliens when they're like, is this shrunken head, the shrunken head of an alien? It's like, no, but 
Maybe <laughs> if it's lemon. Ugh. Well, anyway, it's literally lemon bringing Linda to Earth. I, I think it was following the wine. I don't understand what's confusing about any of this. Oh it God, all makes it was, sense all of a sudden. It really. It was literally. A big-ass lemon following all the wine. Just trying to get a hold of an entire plane. Are you actually the captain of this ship? I'm confused. I was waiting for you to finally put the pieces together. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wait, come back. (laughs) Uh, So according to the flight engineer, this UFO was, quote, absolutely different to the first ones, uh, which had the clusters of undulating lights. So the radar uh, at the airport nearby failed to even register this massive object. Probably it was like too big to even. They probably thought that was just like the default sky. <laughs> the clouds, or something. yeah, like something <laughs> mass. The default sky. Yeah. You know what I mean. Uh, so FAA investigators actually deemed the crew basically their radars weren't picking it up, and this was when FAA decided that they were actually going to like do an investigation because. Air traffic control was even offering military intervention. Uh, The captain actually said, no, I don't want the military involved because he had heard of this other incident called the Mantell incident, which we should cover at some point, where apparently there was a pilot that was pursuing a UFO and taking action and he died. (gasps) Oh, shit. Oh, I don't know any more than that, but I could look into that. But basically he heard about that and he was like, uh, I don't want to pursue this fucking UFO. <laughs> no. So like, don't bring the military into it. I don't want someone else to accidentally die. So enough people can't explain this that the FAA does a thorough investigation. They deemed the crew, quote, normal, professional, rational, and did not have a drug or alcohol involvement. They hadn't so, drunk like half the wine in the... <laughs> all of the wine was still there. <laughs> they didn't replace um, it with water like teenagers do. <laughs> <laughs> it was still there. It was just in their bellies instead of bottles. <laughs> So anyway, the investigation led to, um, I guess the official reason that they had an investigation of people asked is because there was, quote, a violation of airspace. Okay. Which, like, I feel like I could use that the next time someone, like, has, like, negative vibes. I can be like, you're a violation of my airspace. <laughs> Wait, I love that. Excuse me, you're actually <laughs> violating my airspace? Like, especially after quarantine, like, we're all going to need our own airspace to be very clear. I mean, is that not, like, so uh, predictive of, like social distancing of like yes get out of my airspace you're violating my airspace i love that. so anyway now maybe post-covid we'll have a shirt that says that i actually eva can you write that down i love that quote <laughs> i love it i almost wrote it down myself i was like why would i do that when we have an eva we have an eva um eva eva write that down can you make sure to write something about violating our airspace um so she probably wrote it down when she first heard it and was like yeah guys <laughs> i get how this works so during the investigation, Captain Tarachi was based in Anchorage and actually became a, sort of a celebrity in town because of the sighting. And only a month later, actually, Japan Airlines grounded him and moved him to an office job because they found out he was talking to reporters. Oh, my God. That's not very nice. Which makes it shady, though, because they were like, we're literally going to. It's almost like that the cop who knows too much all of a sudden gets the desk job. Desk duty. Yeah. You know? So it's mm. eerie that they're like, we don't want you to be talking to people about Too this. Too close to the truth. Yeah. So the month after that, he ends up telling F- the FAA anyway that he thinks the mothership intentionally stayed in the darkest side of the sky and like kept, because mm. he kept seeing it, but not being able to really see it because the he can only see it through like the glow of the lights, but he can never get a real full image of what right. this thing was. And so he thinks they were intentionally in the dark because they didn't want to be seen. Ooh, I just got Which, goose cam. Which brings up your point of, like, do you think, like, they popped up when all of a sudden they got mentioned? It's like, so it's it's like, well, did yeah. they want to be hidden or 
did they like playing this game of like, oh, we'll show ourselves briefly, but because you think that they would know that they've been seen at some point, right? Like, I think we're all under the. I think we've given aliens the stereotype that they have the power to read our minds at all times. True, true. And if we see it, we know it sees us seeing it. So. Maybe they don't have that power, which I refuse Maybe to believe. Maybe they're just like, I don't know. We're just lost. And we're like, <laughs> they're reading my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's entirely possible that we're giving them like ridiculous parameters. And they're like, we're just like you. But for some reason, I have a feeling that, uh, well, because you hear about those stories where people are like, I saw it. And suddenly it like zoomed toward me. Yeah. Like it, I feel like you hear those stories where they do read your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, anyway, the captain himself says he thinks that they wanted to be seen. Uh, This is another quote, but he thinks the UFO wanted to hide while looking at them in the 747 uh, because Uh. they had, quote, in front of the sunset and visible for any movement we made. So it was always keeping Captain Chirachi's plane. It was almost like they were intentionally backlighting themselves so that they could always see Captain Chirachi, but Captain Chirachi could never see them. So creepy. He did also tell the FAA and official documents that he hopes, quote, we humans will meet them in the near future. No, thanks. No, thank you, Cap. I'm going to love you guys from afar, but you're violating my airspace and I'd like you to step back. We'll talk about you on the podcast, but just tune in from space, please. Yeah, from the safety of our microphones, but that's it. So Don't come any closer. When asked why UFOs would be interested at all and in even interacting with him, Captain Tarachi said, and I quote, we were carrying Beaujolais, a very famous wine. <laughs> oh, my God. They're on to me. They're like, this alien must be. Oh, my God. Wait, I just realized something. What? It was fucking Xenon. <gasps> <laughs> How do we not make that connection? She borrowed Xenon. daddy's jag to get all the way to the fanciest wine that she could find. Within... She's like, excuse me. She was like, um, excuse me. There's apparently like... 770,000 pounds of this wine here? It's my birthday month, and I would love to have a little sippy sip. Excuse the lights. We're having a little bit of a party limo situation over <laughs> a here. A party limo! I love. It's a party lemon. Hang on. I have to write a lot of this down. Eva, can you write all of this down, please? This is truly, man, that's why we drink fucking fever dream. This Xenon is chaos. is driving a, a lemon to the wine. <laughs> And also, Zenon's driving eleven. Yeah, I'm. I follow. So far, I follow. <laughs> Everyone else has slowly lowered the volume on this podcast, and by slowly, I mean halted it. Fucking press pause. Everyone's and stop like and partner. Delete. Everyone's partner or roommate who's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll listen to one episode. Is like, really? And you're like, they're like, no. I promise, they don't always talk. Like, they don't always scream about their moms. <laughs> Except for you'd be lying because that's like, all that we do. We'd be lying. Lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, Linda's tiger and bears. I can't get it together. Okay, anyway, this is Xenon. This is the story of how Xenon came to Earth, by the way. I don't know how we didn't figure out it was her birth story, like, earlier, but here it is. Beautiful. Some people obviously dispute this UFO claim, me included. Um, You. (laughs) The second you said Xenon, I began to dispute it. Um, (laughs) The second I said lemon, don't kid yourself. But there was a, so in 1987, there was uh, one article written by this like skeptic journalist named Philip J. Glass. And I feel like I've mentioned him before. I don't know if he's as big as I'm putting him in my mind, but I feel like Philip J. Glass was like kind of on every fucking case to dispute aliens. But so this is a quote from him about why he thinks that this story is not true. So Philip said, quote, 
Astronomical calculations of that night show that when the pilot claimed to see the UFO, Jupiter was extremely bright and was visible precisely where the pilot reported he saw the UFO. Mars was just below and to the right of Jupiter and may explain the initial report that he saw two lights. This is not the first time that an experienced pilot has mistaken a bright celestial body for a UFO, nor will it be the last. I think that the Japanese pilot... First of all, why do we have to say the Japanese pilot? The pilot. I think that the pilot should have been a little more skeptical when the United Airliner and the Air Force plane reported seeing nothing. Yeah. You know what? Even the second he said the Japanese pilot, it's like when people say a female pilot. It's yeah. like, that, why, what's the qualifier for? What are you trying to say here? Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, I'm not on Philip's side right now. No, Phil, you're just step, sit down. Phil. I'm really mad at Phil right now. <laughs> He, uh, but yeah, so he basically said, like, they were actually just planets, and this is not the first time a pilot has mistaken that as a UFO. Okay. Uh, one of the times that that actually has also happened, just a fun fact, in World War II, there was uh, a big chaos because a bunch of B-29 pilots that were in the Pacific, they were flying at night and reported this mysterious ball of fire, and they thought it was, like, long-range aircraft that was going to try to shoot at them. Oh. And then they ended up finding out it was Venus. Were they um, shooting at Venus? That they were. Really... They were literally <laughs> no! shooting. Oh, can you imagine later they being were like, like start reporting to your officer and being like, um, so awkward. So can we still write off all those bullets? Yeah, because yeah. Well, do we get more ammo? How does this work? They literally, for a long time, were shooting at fucking Venus, being like, I don't get it. They won't back down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, so anyway, the Anchorage Daily News, they also said... According to Philip J. Class, uh, the I thought it was Glass. Class with a K. Oh, I thought you said Glass, which Philip no. Glass is like a composer. So I was like, if this is the same guy, he needs to stick to one fucking lane. Oh, no. Okay, Anytime class. I think of Glass, I think of George Glass, which was Jan Brady's fake boyfriend. That always makes me laugh. That's right. George Glass. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Class. Class. Like knockoff, like the class. knockoff class, like K, like with a K instead of a C. Got it. Um. So Anchorage Daily News says that according to class, the pilot never reported seeing Jupiter or Mars, even though they were clearly visible. In fact, when the co-pilot was asked if he could distinguish the lights as being different from a star, he said no. Oh. So that makes it seem like a credible dispute of like, well, you couldn't even tell when we were giving you a test on it. Yeah. You couldn't even tell the difference. So how can we trust that you didn't hmm. know what it was? I guess my question is like, then why? <sighs> I mean, I have a lot of questions, but I'm, maybe I'll get to them. But like, if it's on the, okay, first of all, it was seen on the radar briefly, right? So like, what were they mm-hmm. seeing then if they saw two? Mm-hmm. And then also, like, I get that, oh, the light looks like something uh, right. out of this out of space, but also if you're feeling like it's stopping and you see jets and you feel the heat, I mean, this is all just really specific. Yeah, and I guess, uh, well, let me let me say this first. So, other skeptics have said that the UFOs could have been optical illusions caused by ice crystals, and I guess sometimes, like the, maybe if it's like a reflection off of a cloud, it almost looks like a thick actual object. So a radar could have maybe picked it up. I'm not really sure. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to guess off of like a reflection plus clouds. Something could have looked like something else. Other people, though, say that Captain Sirachi already established himself as a UFO believer in the past, which makes him look biased because he had mm. logged several other sightings before. Mm. But to the point that you're making, 
the event wasn't just witnessed by him, who was a believer. It was all three crew members who said that they had this experience and that the radar did pick up signals of something at around eight miles away. And the radar display did show a color strength, I guess, based, it's called like an echo, but based on the strength of the signal of something else next to you, it goes from either like green all the way up, up to red for a really strong signal. Sure. I guess also fun fact, planes use this to, for potential upcoming turbulence. That's how they're able to say like, oh, we're going to get a little bit of turbulence in a little bit. So just be prepared for that. They can see it through like this, like echo radar or whatever, which like- I sure wish they gave like portable versions of that to uh, absolutely <laughs> to the people sitting on the plane. So if I saw a big ass red dot coming my way, I would know to pray versus like. Yeah, but can you imagine like everybody on the plane suddenly sees a red dot coming at them? It would be fucking chaos. I, I, I would, mean, be would be so be. many clonop and deep. I would be. <laughs> I would be using like the phone on the back of the plane to be like. Uh, at least you could you could <laughs> phone. Oh, I wonder if like I wonder. How, how many people don't actually know what we're talking about when we say the uh, plane? Yeah, they're like, phone on the plane? I'm like, for Candy Crush? No, like the ones where you put your credit card in it? Never mind. No. Um, <laughs> yikes. Okay, that makes me old. Uh, but wow, yeah. I, I, I'm glad actually nobody has radar ability because if you saw that your neighbor holding one of those and there's like a red blinking dot coming at you, like, uh-uh. Yeah, it wouldn't be cute for my psyche, but it could. I could properly time my anti-anxiety meds though. Oh, when when do I take that Ambien? Oh, right now. That's Got why it. you take it the second the engine starts going, and then you're fine. Okay, you're clear. <laughs> do you need me to give you another lesson before our next tour? I thought I've, I thought we've gone through this multiple times. Christine, <laughs> no, I I lost all of my lessons because you would always go up to the Delta first fucking class, whatever, <laughs> and Eva and I would sit at a coffee. It is bean. not my fault that a year into us touring, I was like, well, what are your guys' reward numbers? And you're like, I don't have one. And I was like, you could have literally been getting reward smiles on every single flight we took and probably been up there with me sorry that i'm savvy and frugal okay my my mother with the fucking ponies at a birthday i'm party, telling you she should she, have taught you this early she should have and i think she did and i wasn't listening because she was furious at me when she found out that it took me so long to like get up she probably found out i was up there and you were not and was like what and i'm like i tried to tell them i said get a rewards number i'll plug it in when i book our flights also my delta thing my dad, see, speaking of which, my mom and dad got me one in 1992. So I was like <laughs> six months old and they got me one because they were like, I have a feeling she'll need this someday. And like, that's a genius are. move, though. If you have a baby, just set them up now. It's because, true. Like, I, it literally says like a member for thir- 29 years. And I'm like, that's really creepy. But <laughs> I guess it's true. Me and Eva is like three months. And also here's a, <laughs> because here's Chris- a shitty fucking muffin for you to split between the yeah, two of Yeah, and you. it's like minor parent Christine Schieffer <laughs> has signed them up because they refuse to do it themselves. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> so I'm not going to stand by and get shit on for that. I do miss me and Eva's uh, encounters at the airport because we would always, for some reason, find each other before we ran into you at the airport. And I'd be like, she's probably up in her fucking lounge. She's like, <laughs> I was because they have free mimosas and I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, they're the radar. My mom's having a heart attack somewhere. Like I did not raise you like this. And Linda somewhere like, I think my children got switched at birth. <laughs> I pray to God. My mom does not listen to this episode. I'm roasting her. <laughs> She's going to be like, that's it. No more exotic no animals birthday. for you. Only ponies from now Only on. Only ponies. Uh, <gasps> well, also, Ugh, never mind. I won't. I we won't derail anymore. Um, <laughs> but so the the radar, the echo turbulence thing, 
it shows a really strong radar is red and a really weak one is green. And all three of them remember seeing that the UFO blip was green. So it's good that they can all confirm each other's stories, but it's also interesting that something that fucking massive, which should have definitely showed up as red. But then there's the counter argument of like, well, if it's defying physics, it could also, like it could also go against our own technology and it could be in like a stealth mode and hiding itself. Like anything's possible. Yeah. So Anyway, so Captain uh, Tarachi disagreed with Class's opinion, obviously, and said it wasn't a weather phenomenon. It wasn't a star. It moved with us. And ultimately, the Air Force just kind of deemed this as like random clutter and just kind of swept it under the carpet. <laughs> Space junk. <laughs> <laughs> your random clutter, but also you're violating my airspace. Yeah. Hey, listen, one man's space junk is another man's uh, random aggressive clutter. UFO following, following <laughs> you through the skies, chasing your wine. So, chasing your wine. So, Captain Tarauchi was instated as a pilot later, but he did report a second UFO in the same space years later. So, it's depending on what side you're on. It's like, yeah. oh, see, it came back. Or, or it's like, oh, so now you're... You're seeing it There's again. There's more ice crystals. Though. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So basically in the same area, uh, he was later smile. Uh, he was later flying a similar route and he radioed to um, air traffic control. Please record this. Irregular lights looks like a spaceship. This is like pilot who cried UFO. Like that's I feel exactly like you have it. to be really careful with these calls now because you already have a rep, like a bad rep for, for this kind of mm-hmm. a sighting. It's like you got to really, you got to really be ready to defend your, your uh-huh. case here. So this mm-hmm. time there was no unexplained radar and others on board could not confirm that they saw a UFO and officials mm-hmm. said that it was just village lights bouncing off of ice crystals. So it was more ice crystals, like you said. Maybe it's good they gave him desk duty. Now I'm like, I don't know if I want this man <laughs> flying my wine around if he's like, like seeing I think UFOs. he is sneaking the wine. Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah something's going on. Uh, so basically what ended up happening to him is he's probably like 81 now and he retired in Kanto, North Kanto, Japan. Mm-hmm. And one article a few years ago said that he lives with his wife and doesn't talk about the UFO if he can avoid it. Aww. Because he said, I spoke to a doctor. He said it was just an illusion. But what? his wife is like the perfect uh, catering wife and was quoted saying, you saw something you just weren't meant to see. So it's like, <gasps> oh, that's a great way of putting it, though. Yeah. So she's just super supportive because it is true. Like. You weren't meant to see the reflection of ice crystals. You weren't meant to see natural phenomena and your eyes just caught it in the wrong moment. Or you saw an alien and you weren't fucking supposed to. And guess what? No one was ready for it and they don't believe you. So it didn't help. So the FAA did an in-depth report of Flight 1628. And it has, in this report, it has primary references, interviews, written records, photos, drawings, recordings, a chronology of the events, the printout of Anchorage's uh, air traffic that night, And it has the FAA form 3112, which is the inspection and surveillance record. And you can actually buy all of this. You can see the report yourself. um, But the FAA charges about 200 bucks for the complete package. Come on. But guess who's a member of MUFON? And bro. So I wanted to. What's your discount? (laughs) Well, no. So I I have access to like, remember you can like, uh, I talked about last episode where you can basically look through the log of like any reported ufo yeah. and see everything so i tried to go i tried to use mufon and look up this it was november 17th 1986 in alaska so i looked it up but remember last episode i also told you that mufon like is not on top uh-huh. of their tech 
is on angelfire.web or whatever. I mean, yeah. literally something from 1986 that hasn't been reported. And it's like apparently <sighs> a big case. So it's really, I don't know if it's outdated or it's just not well organized. I don't know what the deal is, but I tried looking it up. It's not in MUFON's records. But I will say, I, I looked up for all of 1986 in Alaska, there were two hits. And one of them actually was on November 17th. Oh. So what's what's interesting for me with my check with my fact checking, it's interesting that the only other UFO sighting happened to be on the same day. Did they have put it on the wrong year or is it just a different completely different story? This is a completely different story, oh, but oh. it almost kind of confirms that like something was going on that day in Alaska. Well, and he saw it another time. Didn't the guy see it another time? Maybe not the same day, but in the same spot, right? He said he's, That's weird. he did, but there was like no real evidence of it. Sure, At least okay. the the that flight 1628, it was like, yeah, we can't explain it. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah. so there was two hits for all of 1986 in Alaska. Both of them happened to be in November, which is weird. Yeah. One of them happened to be the same day that flight 1628 happened, and this is the the information that someone logged. I don't know if I'm allowed to read it, but I'm going to do it. Um, so this is the report for November 17th that's on MUFON's site. I was driving north uh, when I noticed a glowing ball floating above the water in the inlet. I thought that it may have been a helicopter spotlight, but it was very foggy and it was much lighter and a different color. It only followed at the same speed as my vehicle. I was mostly amazed at what I was seeing. It was something that I'd never seen before. It glowed a yellowish white color. Salmon-y? No. Uh, mm, I don't know. really, really rotten, bad salmon. Don't <laughs> eat that. If your salmon looks like a that. A Dijon, actually. Uh, a Dijon mustard, maybe. I was, uh, I was mostly amazed at what I was seeing. It had a gl- it glowed a yellowish white color that illuminated the surroundings of my vehicle. I believe the fog also enhanced the effect. I then felt as if I had fallen asleep, but I was a few miles down the road from where I was driving. And when I looked at the ocean to see the object, it had disappeared. I never told anyone until a couple years ago. I never felt compelled to share my experience, but recently have had very strong thoughts about it. And the other strange thing is the loss of time during the sighting. It seemed that I had been sleeping and woke up 20 minutes later, but I never did. I didn't fall asleep, but the time somehow went by. Hope this helps. Hope this helps. It does. You kind and stranger. So that was, that happened on the same day. It doesn't sound like they were same day. Same. This was the exact same time. Oh, the same year too. I thought this just happened to be the same day, like on a different year. Oh, no, I think that's, that's why weird. I kept. I think that's why I kept repeating it because I felt like you weren't uh, giving no, me the reaction I wanted. No, I thought you just meant, like another November sixteenth, but I didn't realize like literally. No, that so day. I. So it was November seventeenth, nineteen eighty six. Oh, 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 and so through MUFON, I just looked up all of nineteen eighty six. Wow, in that Alaska, is weird. Okay, and the only two hits in Alaska were of nineteen eighty six were both in November. That is weird. I see what you're saying now. Although you could yeah. say like, well, Jupiter was really strong that day. Maybe this person also saw the reflection. But Bada bang. but you're Bada you're bang. right that it is really weird that two people would have a sighting on the same day in the same place. And the other one, because I said there were two hits, one was definitely on the same day as sixteen twenty eight, and the other one that just said November nineteen eighty six is. Also, probably from the same day, because this is their story. This is from, excuse me, Wasilla, Alaska. Still feels like yesterday. I was nine years old. My mother had put us to bed, but I'm a night owl, and I've always loved the stars. I was watching out the bedroom window, watching a big orange star. Orange. Salmon. Orange. We're getting closer. Um, well, I thought it was a star. As it got closer, it was really hot, giving off the heat of a sun. Oh. Almost like how he felt the UFO thrusters. 
The next thing I remember, I was on a metal table. Okay, now we've crossed the line. Not strapped down, but I couldn't move a bit as if I was being restrained. And the surrounding, they they were surrounding the table. I was screaming and all of a sudden my voice wasn't coming out of my mouth, but it was inside my head. And it was so loud that I stopped. They had mouths, but they didn't use them to communicate. They were talking to me inside my head. They proceeded to poke and prod me through my belly button and between my toes. They seemed to be trying to soothe me by stroking my forehead like my mother did when I didn't feel good. I don't recall how I got back in my bed, but when I opened my eyes, I was drenched as if I had jumped in a pool. I immediately ran to my mother's room and began to tell her what had happened. She was quite freaked out, but did believe me, which is nice. That is nice. We still talk about it from time to time, but we've always wondered what happened. I was recently watching the History Channel, and I saw an episode of the Japan airline flight over Anchorage in 1986, and and I was frozen in shock. I looked at my husband and said, that's the UFO that took me. So literal ultimate goose camp. So I do not know what to do with myself right now. So flight 1628 wasn't mentioned on MUFON site, but the only two reports for all of 1986 in Alaska both happened on the same day. Allegedly. I'm really afraid. See, this is, I don't even like to look at like alien stuff because it's like, I feel like the second I notice it, it's like, they're going to take me on a table and put something in my belly button. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't like, I don't like, I feel like the more I think about it, the more likely it is to happen. <gasps> well, anyway, there you have it on uh, Japanese Airlines Flight 1628. And also a lot of wildly thick tangents this this day. So sorry. Wildly thick boys. They, they yeah. weren't just little, little, uh, little moments. They were experiences. So they weren't little spirals. They were giant tornadoes. They sure were. Twisters. Tunnels. Funnels. Yes. <laughs> Tunnels and tunnels. Uh, there you go. Um, that is wild. Okay, I'm. So, I'm so scared of aliens, dude. I'm so scared of them. I'm I know. So scared. I know. And I'm I don't blame like, you. Aggressively. I, I one time went to a um, Akashic record reading before I even knew what it was, and before I had like obviously taken any courses in it. And they told me that I was part of the. Lim- okay, I've never said this on the podcast because. Goodbye. I, what are you about to say? I don't know if I've told you, but uh, they said, "Oh, you have a connection to the Lemurians." Is that what they're called? No, no, sure. sorry, not the Lemurians. Sorry, that was the wrong one. That was the one. The oh Pleiadians. Okay, that's even creepier because I don't know what that is. Okay, let me. And they were like, "Oh, do, does that mean anything to you?" And I was like, "Kind of," but I don't know why. And then I looked it up, and I was like, "I've looked this up in like high school for some reason." But then I got really freaked out because she kept describing like how some people are part of Pleiadian star system. I, I got really freaked out, but then I took ended up taking Akashic record reading classes. But anyway, so she said I was part of the Pleiadian star seed or something. So if anyone knows what that means, hit me up because I was too <laughs> if scared If you're to also ask. part Pleiadian, uh, according to your Maybe ancestry account, let me know. <laughs> If you're 23 and me, lets me know that you're a Pleiadian. Well, yeah, also, maybe you were related. I wonder, does it have to do anything with like the theory that like aliens helped build the Egyptian pyramids? I don't know, because I've also heard that's like a very problematic theory because it doesn't give credit to um, actual Egyptian civilizations who like did actually <laughs> do really intense work. Um, so I've definitely heard that that's not like a great argument. I don't think that's actually the same thing, though. I'm pretty sure this is the idea that like they lived on a different star system and then some of them like reincarnated on earth. Like they're, they're mm, different interesting. Um, 
people this is why i never told it on the show i'm like i'm gonna sound so looney tunes and there's gonna be someone listening for the first time going okay this is way weirder than spotify led me to believe you're on you talk about a lemon all the fucking time there's really nothing that could shock (laughs) me at this point so well if anyone knows who the like about the pleiadians they like pleiades is where they come from i think anyway it doesn't matter okay okay freaky stuff though i just it's something about it freaks me out if anything i'm just jealous that i'm not part alien That's, maybe you are maybe i am i don't know i'll do another akashic reading for you and maybe we'll you find owe some, me I about do, 20 christine i do owe you a lot yeah i uh will do one maybe we can do them I, I can do it over zoom maybe i know i say this every time but you have to you have to ask me i'm not allowed to offer it that's christine part of i ask you every single time we talk about akashic I know, records but, but you never say it like hey do you have time tomorrow afternoon to do like okay i'll just say it on the show and then it's never like i'll set an, an agenda an alarm to regularly text you that and then the day you say yes it will be the day that we do okay it. you can maybe ask eva to schedule it for us and then it'll be official see eva right can finally force eva to eva write down that i'm free all of my life Um, (laughs) okay and then figure it out with christine let me know write down that i'm always at the doctors but anytime i'm not (laughs) we can do one (laughs) uh eva if christine's asking i'm actually not available i'm washing my hair i'm busy you're wildly busy as all the time yeah um okay well i have a story for you today and that's uh very disturbing and um problematic in a lot of ways so i just want to warn everybody this is a toughie but it's also really fascinating and touches on a lot of uh, issues modern day issues that still apply so this oh, is shit. okay and i will also add that the name um for uh, one of these the people involved is ethiopian and i watched youtube it i tried everywhere to find the pronunciation Everybody who does a episode or there's it's, it's not very common of a story, but anybody who covers it says, I don't really know how to pronounce this. So there's really no uh, clear clarity online as to how to say this. So I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. Um, but the way I've uh, have been saying it is Sinedu, S-I-N-E-D-U, Sinedu or Sinedu. S-E-I. Sorry, S-I-N, Sin, and then E-D-U. Maybe Sinedu. Sinadu? Yeah, I don't know. My 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 gut instinct is to say Sinadu, but that's the American in me. Sinadu. Yeah, I've been waffling between Sinadu and Sinadu, so I'm not sure. But then uh, her last name is Tedes. Uh, okay. So this is uh, also takes place in the, well, not the 80s, I guess, in the 90s. But it takes place May 28th, 1995. And we're just going to dive right into the story. So buckle up. Okay. What can you give a trigger warning for what content it is? Yes. Um, and I, I do often hesitate to give trigger warnings because I feel like pretty much every story I cover deserves a trigger warning. And then I end sure. up saying it for some stories and not for others. And is there is there anything that is different? Um, I mean, not really. Uh Okay. The, I, I don't know if I this was say, like specifically child or animal abuse. Or no, something. I can't even do animal stuff anymore. It's really bad how like okay. ridiculous. It's a suicidal, a gotcha. suicide story, uh, stabbing. So like okay. basically most stories I cover, which is really sure kind of fucked up. But but no, that's I mean it's I I I'm sure that's quite a struggle you deal with all the time. That there's like always something pretty dark that's going to get covered it's tough because some people say like well you should give trigger warnings and i'm like i know but i feel like there's an umbrella trigger warning over the whole show because almost every story has some form of like either sexual assault or suicide or i mean and or children or i mean it's 
it's hard to kind of nail down every single story's right warnings but yes thank you for asking suicide definitely um and stabbing i guess is the other one which obviously both deserve a trigger warning um and you know just mental health issues in general so um this takes place in 1995 at harvard oh okay harvard okay harvard are you sure i tried harvard that's my midwest accent 26 year old tao nguyen uh woke up to a site that would be burned in her memory forever she was visiting harvard uh, specifically at the dunster house which was a dormitory and had been staying over with her friend trang ho who was a junior at harvard and so tao had come to help trang move out for the summer I'm sorry, Tao had come, yeah, Trang was moving out of the dorm and her friend Tao had come to help her move out and was just staying a couple nights. Mm. So Tao wakes up to a horrific sight. 8 a.m., Tao wakes up to the sight of her friend Trang being stabbed by her roommate, Sinadu Tades. Whoa. Who was another junior at Harvard. Uh, Tao later told the Herald, quote, I heard the screaming and I opened my eyes. According to Tao, Sinadu was looking, quote, crazy as she wordlessly stabbed her friend. And then obviously trying to, like, react and intervene as quickly as possible. Tao also got swiped by the knife herself, trying to grab it from Sinadu and got uh, injured in the struggle, but thankfully survived. Um, she escaped and fled into the dormitory's courtyard, where another Harvard junior later explained that to the Harvard Crimson newspaper, I woke up at 8.30 to hear a girl out in Dunster Courtyard shrieking, someone's killed my friend, someone's killed my friend. Fuck. And it went on for three or four minutes. Oof. So Tao fled the scene, uh, and Sinadu had stabbed her roommate Trang a total of 45 <gasps> times with oh my- a hunting knife. <gasps> oh my god. Why did that make it worse? I don't know. There's something like really hands-on and terrible about this story. A hunting knife feels really intentional, I think. Like it's like yeah. it's not like a spur of the moment, let me grab a knife from the kitchen. It's like no, I've from got the butcher this thing block. That is, yeah. Exactly. It's meant to fuck you up. Like no one's yeah. going hunting at Harvard as far as I'm concerned. Like that's just not right. an activity on the roster usually. <laughs> It's not an elective. I don't think so anyway. I mean, Harvard has probably some pretty weird electives, but I'm not sure that's one of them. But yeah, so Sinadu had stabbed her 45 times with a hunting knife that she had actually bought specifically for this murder. So you're right. It wasn't something she had on hand. She had purchased a hunting knife, presumably for to murder her roommate. Right. Sinadu then barricaded herself in the bathroom and hanged herself from the shower rod. (gasps) Yeah. Wow. It's just really upsetting, this whole story. Um, According to a Salon article called Satan Goes to Harvard, quote, the crime was stunning not only because it was savage, but because, as a Harvard official commented at the time, there was no apparent reason for it. Hmm. So now we're going to rewind and tell the story leading up to what the fuck happened on that morning. So Sinadu and Trang were both biology majors at Harvard in a course. uh, It was like a pre-med course, basically, both uh, aiming for med school. Uh, Both of them dreamed of becoming doctors so they could help others. They were also both admitted to Harvard on full scholarships. Sinadu Tades was born on September 25th, 1975 in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and had grown up in a pretty well-off family. 
I mean, I didn't get any intel as far as like how many tigers they would rent and like whether that was an option. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, by the way, like, let's take the moment to say, like, I am still uh, so embarrassed that I even brought oh, that story Oh, come on. Up. I'm wearing my trashy, classy <laughs> shirt because I embraced it. So you don't have I to know. apologize for the things you said. Let, <laughs> let me just do a disclaimer real quick and be like, I'm very aware that, like, every parent is problematic in some way. And uh, mine chooses to uh, make lavish requests like that. But then I will say she does get educated. I, I don't like she she walked away from that conversation knowing that animal abuse is a real fucking thing and like tiger no we tiger love King. Linda I don't want anyone yeah. thinking that like I like I'm I'm also just like a I don't think any of us think that you I like, don't know abuse tigers I don't I, I know I just don't want people to think that I like I heard it and took it as like a serious request or like thought of it as like a real potential I mean, you did have pony rides at your children's at your own birthday party thank God I'm thank God I blocked of. it from my memory so I don't have to feel. That one's not on me. I didn't choose that. <laughs> I mean, at 29, I'm like, I'm jealous retroactively. I never went to a birthday with a pony ride. Or maybe well, I did. And I was probably just jealous then, too. Gosh. Well, no, I'm, I'm, it's funny you mentioned it because in that exact moment, I was like, ooh, I really hate that I even brought it up because I just feel so stupid. But anyway. No, come on. People know you. People know us. Okay. They don't think you're literally renting tigers. If I ever rented a tiger, it would be to secretly like help them escape and then bring them back to to the wild or something. I don't know. Okay. Now you're going too far because people are going to say they're not meant for the wild. And by the wild, I mean to Dr. Doolittle and (laughs) and who would feed them steaks and we would eat steaks together. And that Um, would be in the first episode of the podcast. I literally talked about how my stepmom bought a bear from a catalog. So I don't think anybody's sitting here going, wow, M must be terrible. That's true. My stepmom literally ordered a bear and it arrived and she kept it in the playroom. So I don't think... uh, this is, you know, next level for me. I know. I have, about Both our mothers have ordered animals off the internet. That's, or, or at least thought to. Yeah. Thought to. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm just always a uh, parent of the people think that I'm not for the cause. And uh, M's, M's one of the people, you I'm know, and wants to be one of the people. I do. And if I'm not one of the people, I'm certainly uh, looking through the window and wishing I was there. So <laughs> yeah, M and I are just definitely not invited to be part of the people. We're just on the outskirts. Um, anyway, sorry. So she was raised, uh, in Ethiopia in a relatively well-off family, but the uh, time that she lived in Ethiopia was kind of wrought with chaos and murder and violence. Uh, it was Ethiopia's red terror, which was a violent political repression campaign of the DERG, which was the provisional military government of Ethiopia against other Marxist Leninist groups in Ethiopia. Mm. So there was a lot of mass murder atrocities. Uh, corpses were dragged to families' doorsteps by soldiers Jesus who Christ. would then force the bereaved family to pay for the bullet so that they would have the body back. Yeah oh fuck that yeah it's it's just like really really dark times wow so uh it was a regime in which quote the murderers had the power so that's kind of the social political environment that she grew up in um as part of the resistance group sinadu's father had been thrown in jail for two years when she was seven and he was kept as a political prisoner for a while However, during that time, her dad recalled that Sinadu was very cheerful, would visit her, uh, sorry, would visit her dad, would visit him in prison with her mother, who was a nurse. And when she was little, Sinadu didn't really have many friends. She was kind of ostracized by people at her Catholic girls' school, um, as well as her own family members as a child. So she was kind of just on the outskirts. And to escape, she would devote herself to her studies. And she worked so hard at her academics that she was admitted to the prestigious International Community School, where she graduated as valedictorian. 
And wow. this was huge because it gave her kind of the opportunity to leave uh, sure. and go to an American university. Okay. Not the American university. That's where I went. It's nothing like Harvard. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so she actually got, uh, she was accepted by 24 different American colleges. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. One of them um, being Harvard. But, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But she decided to go with Harvard on a full scholarship. So like... Okay, wow. must be nice. Wow, congrats! <laughs> must be nice. Congratulations that that was. Em and I were literally like we could see Harvard from our apartments, and we were so far removed from it, like intellectually. I so think far we were, like... when my when I got into Boston University, I found out in the same. I found out in the admissions office with my mom because we went to go look at apartments in case I got in, and we decided to stop at BU, and they told me I got in, and my mom looked at me and went, "Wow, how did that happen?" <laughs> So like, the, yeah, uh, Harvard and I were just that. Let's just put it this way: I didn't even try applying to Harvard. We weren't invited to apply to Harvard no. ever by anybody. No. Yeah, that's not uh, that wasn't even on the table. Not even yeah. not on the radar. No. Uh, so she was accepted on a full scholarship to Harvard, and uh, a former teacher described her as the pearl of her school, her high school. However, this kind of became problematic, which seems to happen to a lot of people who start at a school like Harvard after being kind of the best at their high school and being the pearl or the special one. They go to a place like Harvard and it's sort of a wake up call, like everybody is top of their class. Right. You're you're one of many. You're not the special, right. you know, as special as you were in high school anymore. And so I guess she had a little bit of a shock, culture shock in that way. Um, she struggled to keep up academically at first. And she was extremely isolated. So she grew up pretty isolated, but at least like had her family and, uh, you know, knew her high school classmates and that kind of thing. But she showed up at Harvard and felt completely isolated. And actually, she became so desperately lonely that she got to the point where she started sending letters to strangers, like from the phone book. And she would just write letters randomly to people in the phone book and pleaded with them to befriend her which is just really heartbreaking. Um, Yeah, that's really sad. And yeah, and this is also part of why the story is just very dark is like you just see what's building up to the the murder-suicide and it's like somebody should have done something or or stepped in at some point. The behavior was off early on. Yeah, and like it was just so many cries for help and nobody did anything. Cries for help, yes. Mm. Yeah. So in her letters, she wrote to strangers from the phone book. She wrote, year after year, I became lonelier and lonelier. I see friends deserting me. They would take every chance to show me they did not have any love or respect for me. High school turned out to be even worse. If I went early or left late, I would be roaming the yard or deserted hallways alone while other students roared with laughter or talked their heart out standing in groups. Home was not a comforting place. I swallowed my pain and anguish just as my siblings did to theirs. I was so lonely, but I hung on tight because I wanted to come to the States in search of a solution. Mm. So finally she had gotten like what she worked so hard for and she arrives in the States and is still feeling completely isolated. So it didn't like, it almost made her problem worse um, of feeling left out. Wow. Okay. So one woman actually responded to the letters and uh, she wanted, she was like, okay, like I'll reach out, I'll reach back and, uh, talk to you but apparently she became so alarmed by the bizarre writings and recordings that Cenadu started sending her that she like cut off contact oh shit so that didn't last and then another woman found the letter obnoxious quote-unquote and sent it which is like okay fuck you all right yeah uh and sent it to a friend who worked at harvard to review and so literally (gasps) at this point harvard has these letters and it knows that she's writing these things and does nothing wow so there's like full proof that they 
this early on already knew. They were aware of mm-hmm. something, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, although the letter was deemed to have been read by both the dean of the university and another university official, nobody ever contacted Sinadu about it, uh, never asked if she was okay, nobody ever said anything to her at all, and it was filed away and quickly forgotten about until suddenly it was very relevant uh, down the line. Mm. So no one intervened. Obviously, nobody provided her with any sort of help that she clearly needed at this point. Um, And after her freshman year, Sinadu's roommate told her she would no longer be rooming with her. So sophomore year, Sinadu got a roommate by the name of Trang Ho. And Uh this becomes the victim in the story. At age 10, so now I'm going to just give you a little background on Trang. Trang Phuong Ho had escaped from the communist repression in Vietnam on a fishing boat with her father and sister. And they'd actually done this once before when Trang was a baby, but she had fallen overboard oh, uh, shit. of the boat. Yeah. And her so her parents were like, her dad was like, let's wait till she's older. So when she was 10, they did it again and were able to escape to Indonesia, hmm. where she learned English in makeshift classrooms in a refugee camp. And only a few years after she arrived in the United States, this is really incredible, Boston Magazine chose her along with Governor William Feld and a uh, Cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church as one of 25 people who can save Boston. So oh my gosh. Got, yeah, she was literally named among like old white men as one of the people who could save the city of Boston, whatever that That's means. That's crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so what an achievement. And she basically at the time was working uh, as a volunteer at the Spalding Rehabilitation Center. She was tutoring Vietnamese refugees, supporting her mother and sisters by holding down two jobs while attending Boston Technical High School. So she was among 16,000 high school seniors who applied to Harvard, and only two were given perfect scores by the university university's admissions committee, and she was one of them. Wow. So she was kind of in a similar boat of like full ride to Harvard, big plans, going to be a doctor, change the world. Save uh, Boston. Save Boston. Listen, I, I didn't think it was possible for Boston to be saved. So that's save- a pretty incredible article. <laughs> save Boston from itself. I didn't even know the problems. Yeah. And the sad thing is, you know, she obviously passed away. And I, what do you think this cardinal saved Boston? This, right. this Catholic priest? Um, I don't think so. Right. Uh, at least not by the time we got there. So very sad. But yes, yeah, so she was valedictorian of her high school. And in her valedictorian address, she said, you decide where your life is going, whether you are going to make a difference or not. For me, I will make many differences. Wow. So yeah, she's just an incredible, incredible woman. Um, at Harvard, she also had a tough time because she, she faced that same issue of showing up being like listed as one of the top people in Boston. And mm. all of a sudden, she's there with people who also were, you know, in their towns, maybe we're going to save their town. I don't know, but we're the same kind of caliber of student right. as she was. So she she had like an A minus to B plus average. So she was doing okay, but she was kind of struggling a bit. Since her freshman year at Harvard, she'd worked in a research laboratory at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which is like a really top level place. Oof. And she had appeared as co-author of a paper in the journal Genetics. So can you imagine you and I would be the biggest dumbasses at Harvard? It would be like a movie, like Dumb and Dumber, but I, like I'm, worse. I'm trying to think of like going to a dinner party and having to have a conversation with people oh like my that. God. Where they're it's like, embarrassing. and what do you do? And I'd be like, don't. <laughs> it's a, it's okay. We don't have to talk about it. We'd be like, they'd be like, what magazine were you listed as the, the crucial person to save the world? And we'd be like, well, one time, like BuzzFeed put us on a listicle. Does that count? Like, <laughs> no. 
Be like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes my mom tunes in to like, my show. <laughs> we were on a billboard, but we had to pay for it. Does yeah. that count? No. <laughs> because we have like issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So basically, she's fucking killing it. And her professor said in one of his meetings with her that uh, she came and said she was no longer a star, but that was okay because she had gotten into a very good lab. And I'm like, girl, you're still a star. Trust me. Like, you're just in a different caliber of people where you don't realize how much you stand out, but like, you stand out. Imagine all of those credentials and those accolades and being like, I mean, I'm not that great. It's like, you know, that reminds me totally, though, of like, of like imposter syndrome, where it's just so difficult for a lot of people cough, cough us to to feel like oh you're successful at something because it's like oh i'm just faking it or it's right. i'm not as good as the, all the other people in the same situation right um right. so it really shows you but yeah so <sighs> she's in a paper called a journal called genetics as like a freshman listen and girl. she's gonna save boston let's not forget that she's also gonna save the entire city of boston that's she's right. she's literally a superhero isn't like spider-man's whole job to protect new york yeah that's know? right yeah so oh, man. there you go incredible so this is where their stories intersect. And Trang, sophomore year, got a new roommate named Sinadu Tades. So, Sinadu, for what it's worth, was incredibly fond of Trang, was very excited, basically thought, like, finally, I found a somebody friend. I can be friends with. Exactly. And Trang herself was pretty popular and, like, well-liked and outgoing. Um, and so Sinadu started to become, like, really needy because she always kind of wanted to hang out, always needed attention. And so Trang started to get a little bit, like, I want my – you're, you're – you're, what is it? Infiltrating my airspace? What you're violating it? violating my airspace. You're violating my airspace. If I could have said that in my freshman dorm – I mean, Allison, I, I love Al Pal, but <laughs> – we had a three-person dorm in a two-person dorm, and it was a lot of... Uh, and we were all very close, thank God, but... Listen, I'm going to go out there today and say the exact same <laughs> you thing. You live with her. her. Face. Yeah. yeah like, she hasn't changed since college. I feel the same way you did. I'm like, get out of no, my airspace. I, I say that, but I'm like, no, she was definitely the one who felt that way about me. Who am I kidding? Like, I was the needy one. Like, what's going on? I I can't imagine having to live in a like a 500 square foot room with you like a four. Oh my god! And you. for the first time ever, like leaving the house and that like what you're talking about like is this normal? Like I was just eating pickled herrings and people were like this freaky girl covered in hair or what did I say earlier? <laughs> freaky you German said girl. Something about being covered in hair. I also remember her like finding you in the bathroom on the floors and stuff. Yeah. Oh, like... that's right. That was when I accidentally overdosed. Uh, that was bad. But oh I joke God. about it. Allison won't let me talk about it. She gets really upset. Um, that was an accident. <laughs> it really was. I had I had lost like thirty pounds on because of Crohn's disease. And uh, well, you had you didn't know you had Crohn's yet, right? Uh, I had just been diagnosed, and they gave mm. and I was like in so much pain that they gave me Percocet. Which uh, at this point, my mom didn't allow me to have Tylenol when I was little. Like even after wisdom teeth, everything she would flush all the painkillers down the toilet. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is just for pain. And so they were like, take two to three pills every four hours. And I was like, well, I'm in a lot of pain, so I took three. But they didn't really account for that. A, I'd never taken any painkillers, and B, I had lost like 35 or 40 pounds and was like decrepit and so i took like three percocets and i woke up at four in the morning and i couldn't see it was actually one of it was probably i thought i was dying i was probably dying um 
and I crawled to the bathroom but all I could think of was like oh my god I don't want to wake Allison she has her lab tomorrow morning like I don't want to bother her and I mean it's like the ultimate bullshit move of like boundary like I was just like I don't want to bother anybody and so she found me on the floor ultimate people pleasing yeah I was I was I tried to take my temperature but then I was like I can't see like I had fully lost my vision I thought I was gonna go blind um and I just laid on the bathroom floor because the tile was cold on my face and I just sweated out all night and uh I really thought I was going to die. There was just, I couldn't hear either. There was just like this high pitched ringing in my ears. And so I couldn't see my phone. So I couldn't like call an ambulance. You um, know what? Hmm. Homie, that sounds like Florida. Em, I literally tell you this every time you tell me this story. I know, but I think I'm, I'm finally hearing, while thinking of my experience, hearing your side effects. Yeah, I would always say yeah. like, hey, Em, that happened to me. And you were like, Florida. I don't know. <laughs> I tried huh. to tell you it was the same thing. Or it, it sounded like the same thing. That's why I've told you the story so many times. The first half of it feels like it. The second half of it really was like a really fucking gnarly cold, like a really terrible, terrible flu. Yeah. Well, you were sick, though, too. Like I just had I mean, I was sick in a different way, but I didn't Still, have like, a flu. Ugh, anyway. Wow. Yeah. Because I also lost my vision and all that. Ugh. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. So I uh, anyway, Allison was so angry <laughs> at me. So fucking Because then she ended up having to skip class and drive me to the hospital anyway. And they were like, wow, you really fucking overdosed. And I was like. I didn't know. I followed the instructions on the thing. And so now I'm still really scared of painkillers, which is probably good, but like, sure. Woof. Okay. Sorry. That was like way off, off topic. But um, anyway, anyways, you were, so you were violating airspace and uh... everyone was violating airspace. I didn't want to violate her airspace is my point. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to violate my own airspace in this bathroom until she finds me on the floor. And she was like, she's, she was like, she was, like, she was like, you're violating my airspace now. <laughs> she was like, what did you think? I wanted to wake up to a dead body. Would that have been better than you waking me up in the middle of the night to take? I've never actually seen Allison like really angry at me until this day. And since then, I'm, I'm it's, scared of her. She, look, I've seen her mad. She is a scary person to get mad. Yeah, she she knows when she's mad and it's usually for a good reason. And uh, sorry, Elle. I love you. OK, thank you for taking me to the hospital. Sorry. OK, so sorry. This is so off topic. Uh, so anyway, Cena do started to feel uh, Trang was starting to feel like Sinadu was being needy and it was becoming off-putting and she was like, okay, like you're violating my airspace. And during this time, Sinadu was also having a tough time with her academics. Um, she got an A uh, in biology where she worked with prominent researchers at Beth Israel Hospital um, investigating the human immunodeficiency virus in monkeys. You know, how we all did uh, in college. Yeah. Um, I remember that class. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her professors explained that although Sina Du, like Trang and many other students, uh, discovered she wasn't an academic star anymore, she was maintaining a B average with no difficulties. However, a B average was going to keep her out of like top medical schools. It was just wasn't at the level where you would get into i don't know like a top 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 rated medical school coming from harvard at least that's what they believed so another senior who lived next door to trang and senior do at this time said they both complained when the dorm was noisy they spent most of their time like by themselves studying they would call up or bang on the door if we were talking they were polite but they were just really quiet so you know they weren't like partiers weren't really um social with people on their floor and in a New York Times article, it said, when Miss Ho and Miss Tedes started rooming together, they certainly seemed well-matched, which this is also a little bit uh, problematic in my mind, but I'll read it anyway. 
Both had risen from humble circumstances. Miss mm. Tedes in Ethiopia and Miss Ho in Vietnam, which is like just because two people are from a different country yeah. and grew up like with with uh, in poverty or not even in poverty because uh, she was really the well Tedes off. family was well off. Yeah. And uh, the Ho family wasn't. But so even more of a reason, like, why are you just lumping them together? Because yeah. they grew up in war torn countries like, OK, but that doesn't mean that they're yeah. going to be friends. Mm. Yeah. So uh, the, a lot of this story also reflects that, which. I don't want to say it's the 90s, but like growing up in the 90s, even my mom, who's like a white lady, got so much flack and was always called the nanny. And it was like because she had a German accent and it was like and she was white. So it was so much less bad than a lot of people have it. Right. But even just everybody asking me if she was my nanny all the time because she had an accent. Like I just I know how people (laughs) were in the 90s and still are. But this just doesn't surprise me, I guess I should say. Right, 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 right. Um, so even though Sinadu was like, thought the world of Trang, Trang did not really feel the same way, but she kept it to herself. She was a nice girl. She wasn't like mean to her or anything, but tried to keep her distance. So by the point where they needed to decide whether they were rooming together or not, Trang told Sinadu she had decided to room with another group of girls the following year. So Trang had to tell Sinadu, I don't want to live with you next year. It's always awkward. Been there. Yes. Yes. It's always awkward, but it's way more awkward in this scenario because, well, we know how it ends. So she told Sinadu she wasn't going to live with her. She was going to live with a different group of girls. And Sinadu did not react well to this. So a week before the murder, an anonymous note was sent to the Harvard Crimson newspaper, along with a picture of Sinadu. And the note read, Keep this picture. There will soon be a very juicy story involving this woman. Ugh. Later, through DNA tracing, it was discovered that Sinadu had sent this picture and note herself. <gasps> well. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. So a fellow student in her physics course had seen her in the library um, the Tuesday before their physics exam. And he said, you could see she was stressed out. She couldn't seem to study and her face was very worried. But at the same time, it's like, it's Harvard finals week. I'm sure everybody right. looks stressed out and like. If anything, you would like, you would notice the person who didn't look like. Who you wasn't. You at me on Harvard's <laughs> campus. I'd be like. Yeah, M. Like, who wants to get burritos? It's like, <laughs> M, it's finals week. Yeah, you and I would have been the ones who were like, God, these two are fucking clowns over here. Do you want to get burritos uh, is probably the most spoken phrase I said in college on a daily yeah, basis. <laughs> which is why I'm always amazed that we weren't friends in grad school. I'm like, the world really tried to keep us apart because. I really don't know how on earth that didn't happen. I don't either. I, because also, I like in co- in grad school, I made a point to like try to approach people and like ask them to like go out and get some. That's how I became friends with Christine Maiden because yeah. I literally was like, I don't know you, but do you want to go get lunch with me? Well, you know me. I'm always fucking like anxious and depressed. So I try to avoid people as often as possible. So I'm sure I saw you being friendly and went like, red alert, I'm going to hide. <laughs> so that's probably precisely what happened. Probably. Um, I probably knew you were very friendly and went, uh oh, I'm scared. And it's commitment. Yeah, um, it was it would have been I would have been asking you to commit to a friendship, yeah. I don't like that. Or commit to even going to get burritos, which it's a lot to ask it, I, of me I know to it. leave the house. I know it. I know it. <laughs> to put on pants, to leave the house. Okay. Um anyway, so she uh ended up taking one of her finals, but then she got medical exemptions for the other two. And during one of the exams she was supposed to take, she actually went on a brunch date with a fellow Ethiopian student. And later on, he realized that she had this brunch with him to say goodbye before she <gasps> would take her own life. Oh, shit. So she it was just that kind of behavior where you don't realize until, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty of like, oh, dear, I now see what she why she was acting strange and all that. 
Um, on the Saturday when she was supposed to be taking her physics exam, she was sitting in her room crying the whole time, according to Tao, who was the visiting friend who was there to help Trang move out. And Sidadu's younger brother, who was actually at Dartmouth, still in hindsight had trouble admitting that she had anything going on. Um, apparently she had called him at midnight a few hours before the murderer or before the murder and apparently he was probably the last person she spoke to and Mm. he still later said like oh no she seemed fine which is like well okay i guess but Mm. i don't know we'll we'll get to that yeah but so like i said tedes had purchased the hunting knife in advance and that sunday morning she at 8 a.m she murdered her roommate trang wow and then took her own life in the days after the murder, it was generally speculated uh, that Tedes had resorted to violence because Ho had asked not to room with her again in the fall. However, like, Sinadu's family said, no, she's the one who didn't want to room with Trang. Hmm. I don't know. It's kind of hearsay, I guess, or she said, she said. Okay. But basically, the, the general implication was, oh, uh, Trang said, I don't want to room with you, and Sinadu flipped out and killed her. Yeah, okay. Vengeance. That checks out. That Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this became obviously like a huge scandal in Boston media, um, in an article in the New York times, it was reported one student who asked not to be identified said she knew Miss Ho had been trying to find a different roommate next year because Miss Tedes would play music too loud and was inconsiderate of her privacy. But again, you never know with these things of like, whether people are just like interviewed and they're like, oh yeah, I heard this or I knew her because they had like a lab with her or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. I hesitate to trust everything that people report in the newspapers, especially because later a lot of people say they were Sinadu's friend and like, it's kind of like she was very clear she didn't have yeah, any friends. It, it, if anything is understood about this story, it's yes. that she didn't have a friend, so. Right. So I find it sometimes hard to believe of like, how much is this being spun? How much are people just kind of like wanting to be involved with the story? Um, so it's hard, it's hard to know, but... Another report said in the New York Daily News said the Boston Globe reported that Tedes had sent a letter to Ho last month that indicated she felt abandoned, which I do believe that because she was known for sending letters to people to express her loneliness. Um, And apparently the note said, I thought we were going to do stuff together. You'll always have a family to go to and I'm going to have no one. So she really felt abandoned by Trang because she was like, I finally have a roommate, a friend. And then Trang was like, nope, I'm going to my other group of friends. And she felt like... I mean, it's it's not hard to put two and two together of, like, mm-hmm. I mean, she was so desperate for friends. She was writing to strangers. And then she finally found someone she thought she had, like, enough similar interests with yeah. that, like, something could happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this person's like, I have other people I'd rather live with. Yeah. I mean, talk about snapping. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's that, it's that classic, like, feeling rejected rejected yeah leading to mm-hmm. you know with everything else obviously building up obviously it had Trang Trang was not at fault by any means but it's sort of like no it was like a it was like a long time coming and she just happened to be the the catalyst totally like the one the one to really make uh a, an erratic behavior present itself yes exactly it was sort of like a long fuse and then finally it, it went off and she didn't know obviously that this would happen right because who would so she just felt completely abandoned and uh according to Sinadu's father he was a retired high school principal back in Ethiopia, and he said his daughter never indicated that she was unhappy at Harvard or with her roommate. He said there is no friction or divorce in our family, which is an odd. I mean, I don't know. I'm like, there isn't mine, but okay. Um, <laughs> congrats, like, I guess. Uh, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, what is cr- that? <laughs> nice, humble brag, I guess. Yeah, like, congratulations. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but uh, ultimately, Trang's family understandably thought Harvard could have done more to prevent their beloved daughter's death. And in 98, they filed a lawsuit against the school alleging wrongful death, conscious pain and suffering, and emotional distress. They charged the university as well as the people in charge at Dunster House Dormitory with negligence. And they felt that they had plenty of evidence that Sinodu was having a breakdown and could have prevented the deaths. And interestingly enough, which I didn't realize, this apparently was not the first sign of extreme mental health issues among students affiliated, not with Harvard necessarily, but with this dormitory. (gasps) So it's like seemingly cursed. I mean, apparently in the prior, the year prior to Sinadu's suicide, three other Harvard students had taken their lives, two of whom lived in this dorm. So literally the year before she took her own life, two other people had died by suicide in that same dorm. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, I don't know if this is a specific, like, honors dorm. Maybe there's more pressure. I, I don't know anything about, like, what the specific dorm is. But um, this dorm seems to have some sort of uh, yeah, bad it's history. Like, it's like you almost, like, if this wasn't so fresh and, like, um, it, we you know, we weren't talking about it for so long. And it, one could say if this happened years and years and years and years and years ago, it's like the recipe for, like, you know, spooky stories coming out of it. Or yeah, something. yeah. It's like you hear of somebody who died in a dorm and that's why it's haunted. And now it's like, well, it keeps happening over and over again. Yeah. yeah it, it, it makes d- you wonder. Yeah. So three people had died by suicide the year before at Harvard. Two of them lived in this dorm room. Or, I'm sorry, this dormitory. Um, a few months before the murder-suicide, a 1994 graduate of Harvard who had also lived at Dunster House died by suicide, and a week after that, a student who lived off campus was also, but was affiliated with Dunster House Dormitory also died by suicide. Hmm. So this wow. place just has a connection to a lot of dark, dark events. And in response to suicide, suicides before C to do, so the, all the ones that occurred beforehand, the Crimson staff called for change in Harvard's mental health offerings through an editorial piece in the newspaper. And um, in 1994, according to this plea, making an appointment to see a mental health professional took 10 to 15 days on average. And students Whoa. who were in need of long-term therapy were often referred to outside hospitals because they didn't feel that this was part of the university health plan. So it was sort of like you didn't have many options. Wow. And if you did find, uh, you did access it, it took over two weeks sometimes to even find someone to help you, which obviously with mental health concerns, we know sometimes you need much yeah. more urgent assistance. Two weeks, two weeks is a, a lot of time to Long wait time. to get help. Completely. Yeah. And at that point, like clearly you're jumping through hoops. So who knows if you're in a position to even have the stamina to deal with sure. that and the yeah. health limitations. So this is just really uh, kind of showing the underbelly, I guess, of the the lacking services here uh, at Harvard. Shining a light on it. Yes, yes. It's almost like the issue's manifesting in a really horrible, horrible way. So for starters, when Sinodu initially arrived at Harvard as a freshman, Harvard apparently offered nothing except for a two-hour orientation for foreign students. So they just put him in a room, gave him a two-hour orientation and said, good luck good fucking and, like, luck set them on their own there wasn't a support group there wasn't like a you know special advisor or anything for people moving from outside the country it, it just kind of like this is i mean the the fucking orientation we got in la was probably more like here's what winter is you know? we literally had a, we literally had a class called like life in la or something yes we did where like right. the whole semester like it was like for attendance if you if you went all the time like your attendance was basically the only thing you were getting graded on it was just to make sure everyone was like it was a way for them to like weekly rally us together and make sure we were all like okay 
like hadn't like driven off the i-5 by accident yeah yeah and, like knew we had to drive a car in los angeles yeah yeah so they didn't even have anything besides like one orientation and then they were kind of set off their own that's just a good example um and then when cena dude did try to flag her mental illnesses which she did uh she was offered therapy sessions with a doctor of education so like a phd rather than a therapist one day a month mm. however this is pretty disturbing uh shortly before the murder suicide the doctor uh or the professor whoever was seeing her uh tried to reach her but not because he sensed anything was off but because he wanted to cancel their next appointment which again was only once a month so you can just see that this is not going to be helpful yeah can you imagine canceling that appointment and then a few days later finding out not that obviously this person is to blame but like no but to be like human to human it's very it's interesting to be like oh wow like that person really needed help that must have been like a yeah the guilt alone of like um but no i the guilt alone whether or not i mean it wasn't their fault but the guilt of being like wow they needed help and i just canceled yeah and and, you know like i I can't imagine being that person who is responsible for giving these therapy sessions they're probably overloaded with tasks because there is no real therapy offered so it's like right now they're responsible for all these students it's not their job so like I can understand how it's just a bad system for everybody involved. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, as we can probably expect, Harvard did not like these accusations that they were not uh, doing enough for mental health. Um, An esteemed former dean of the college named John Fox was among those who, quote, didn't appreciate the jabs at the university. Mm. Um, And he's been quoted in response to another student who pleaded with him about receiving counseling and medication, saying... I have received my medical care from the university for over 40 years and I'm entirely satisfied. And your attacks on all things Harvard are tiresome. If you don't like it here, go away. Whoa. Okay. Cool. 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 Got cool. It. Cool. Cool. Got John. It. Cool, John. Johnny boy. And this apparently was not an unusual response. In response to Cena do Tedesis's situation. It's a lot of S's. Uh, one would think that this kind of a tragedy after so many other suicides, you'd think, well, maybe they took this time to kind of reflect and say, like, okay, there's a pattern, there's a problem. But no, their response was short and accusatory. The dean of the college was quoted as saying, in a case of this complexity, we prefer to centralize information. Everyone is looking for a villain and we don't want to be it. Mm. So they were basically on the defense from the get-go. But there is a woman named Melanie Thornstrom who had graduated from Harvard in 87. And she was actually a professor in creative writing who ended up publishing an analysis of the murder. uh, And it was called Halfway Heaven, Diary of a Harvard Murder. So she basically wrote a book about this murder as a Harvard grad herself and as a professor of creative writing at Harvard. Now, there, it, this is also problematic in its own way um, because this is not me saying this. I have not read this book, but people have said that although it does give an insight into Tedes, uh, quote, Thernstrom never lets you forget that she is a Harvard insider and she cannot resist bringing her own experience onto the scene. So that's kind of the review this book has gotten, which got it, we've got gotten it. way shittier reviews on iTunes <laughs> that I don't like to abide by. So I'm not saying that's the truth, but that's just the reception it got. Got it. Um, so let's see. Thernstrom, uh, Melanie Thernstrom, was initially drawn to the case because she sympathized toward Tedessa's kind of outcast status, and it was clear she'd been suffering mentally. However, ironically enough, Sinadu had actually applied to be in Melanie Thernstrom's creative writing class, but... <laughs> Thernstrom called, said she didn't accept her into her course because her writing was boring, which is like, ouch. Weird. Okay. That's harsh, yeah. but okay. Not um, nice. No, not really. Uh, so 
it's also weirdly contrasted because in the book, Thernstrom uses all of Sinodu's uh, old journals as like her writing to reference it and say like, look at her troubled soul. And it's like, okay, but she wasn't good enough for your class until she yeah. died and now it's relevant. It's a little I bit. I feel like you, you've put yourself in a situation where like you don't get to use that book as part yeah. of your curriculum. You it's know? almost real. And it gets worse. Like it gets way more um, just problematic. So anyway, so she read the journals as part of her research into the book. And this is pretty fucked up. The New Yorker actually sent Melanie Thernstrom to Ethiopia unannounced <gasps> yeah and she fucking showed up on the family's doorstep oh my god what and they obviously were like utterly shocked that this like white lady just showed up and said i'm writing a book about your daughter can i have her journals like that was what happened absolutely not that's just like the fu- like the fucking gall oh the fucking unearned confidence yeah. to like just show up without warning to get a better story it's so fucked up because um, they, they could have warned the family and said, do you mind if we come and visit after your daughter right. was just savagely, you know, right. thrown into this horrible media Ugh. frenzy and died by suicide. And it's just awful. So uh, she spent her time in Ethiopia trying to get to know Sinadu more. She dove into Sinadu's personal diaries, which she got her hands on. And um, in comparison to what she had said about uh, the writings that Sinadu had submitted for her creative writing class, she said that her journals displayed uncanny capacities for self-expression and self-analysis. She left behind an extraordinary record, that of an intelligent, insightful, strong-willed person using all those capacities to fight as hard as she could for mental health and losing. It just all seems a little bit, um, I don't even know the right word, showy, like using it for your own benefit. I don't know. It just feels icky to me. I don't know what the right word is either, but you're right. I mean, it's it, it feels, yeah, it's like not your fucking place first of no, all no no and like to put the family in that position yeah it's just kind of gross um which i'm also blaming the new yorker who sent her there i'm not saying like oh this is all her fault there are a lot of people involved in this but it just seems like there's a, a general lack of awareness for like yes. respect yes 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 on so many different levels like mental health like um even just grief like your family grief yeah uh, yeah, I, like, uh, yeah, international custom and saying like, oh, they're the same person because they come from two different oh, countries. Oh, yeah, that too. On that level, yep. like xenophobia. Yeah. So um, anyway, the right her writings, she had a lot of these spiral bound journals. Um, they kind of revealed a lot of her deteriorating sanity. She fantasized about an ideal friend. She talked about her inability to obtain psychiatric care. Apparently... So this is also this is also very kind of gross. Is this is what Melanie Thernstrom wrote in her book after she re- after she showed up at this family's door and took all their journals, uh, their daughter's journals. She said, "We see that Cenadu burned in a private hell of loneliness more profound than most of us can imagine. She never felt loved, and it seems like that she was in fact not loved, and so did not have an ability to feel love or to relate to others in even the most fundamental way. She could not feel her heart, and she knew it. As she put it in her hopeless public letter, I am like a person." who can't swim choking for life in a river oh my god i'm like you just said her family didn't love her after you showed up on their doorstep and demanded her private journals but okay fucking insult of like yeah hey your your kid's dead also let me take some of the most personal items from your home that belonged to her and also you didn't love her and i'm gonna let everybody know that you're fucking garbage and you're the reason she's incapable of love and murdered someone but look yeah, at how great i am but look at this article that's being written like i mean it's it's everything you that's want. why i kept in that review not because i was like oh yeah i agree because i don't know i've never read it but because i was like that's an interesting angle 
to the rest of the story like that people are like she talks about going to harvard all the time like i don't know i thought it was an interesting angle on this um so in another entry sinadu had tried to teach herself ways to make people like you uh she wrote to herself in the third person with instructions like do not show what you really think put on a mask or listen to inspirational tapes and when the tips didn't work out she anguished about what she called her heart failure thing and she felt quote dead and it is hard to warm myself up Hmm. so when she met trang in the journals you can see that she believed she'd finally found a friend someone she could have a genuine relationship with so when she was rejected that was too much for her to bear and she quote-unquote snapped for lack of a better term sure um so at one point thurston says she empathized with cena saying that while at harvard she also kept diaries and said in college i was so fearful my roommates would read my diaries i wrote certain passages in ecclesiastical latin <laughs> okay that's the most harvard thing i've ever fucking heard though i know i was like really i would literally if i had to like write something cornelia puella s agricola Agricola. (laughs) if i that would be my fucking journal entry over and over mine would literally just be like normal english except a is b and b is c and c is d (laughs) yeah i'd write it in pig latin be like no one will ever understand i would just like every letter would be a different emoji or something like it would be so (laughs) easy to crack a code that i wrote sometimes i would literally write like so i found a journal entry recently that said die tragedy and it was a it was a lyric of billy talent and i thought i was just really deep and it was like run me over with your truck or (laughs) something like really emo and then the page before i wrote Mom, if you are reading this, you should not be reading this. I will know. I will know if you read this. And like, my mom didn't read my journals because she really, quite frankly, wasn't that interested for obvious reasons. But like, that was my attempt at keeping them away. I was like, do not read it or I will know that you read my deep, dark secrets. What a threat of like, you better thank your lucky fucking stars i chose to let you live (laughs) and then i would i know like uh you better watch out i have control here and then i would leave it on the living room table next to my like empty taco but you would do that but the gemini and you did that on purpose hoping to lure someone in probably so you could yell at them so she could be like why are you writing run me over with your truck and i'd be like it's my favorite song i wish you knew that about me this is who i am it's not a face who i am and also if you knew me at all you'd know that billy talent (laughs) is my favorite band uh yeah anyway so here we go yikes okay uh anyway so the most shocking extreme thing of all is one of the final statements in these journals that melanie thernstrom discovered which read the bad way out is suicide the good way is killing (gasps) savoring their fear than suicide so you can just see that she had like devolved into just like this is the only option left yeah. for me um so as far as i'm concerned there were several people who had a duty as a student of harvard that they had a duty to knowing that she was struggling having like evidence of these letters she was writing to strangers saying she was desperate and lonely like they i think they had a duty to to help her see something say something yeah they're responsible for her she's in their care yeah so obviously she needed help and a lot of this i want to be clear as well this is why it's problematic is because i am not at all saying this is excusable that it wasn't sinadu's fault that she killed i mean i'm not saying that at all um obviously this was not the way to go and um i just think that there were a lot of things that could have been done to hopefully prevent both of these deaths and yeah there's no excuse for murdering anyone your roommate or anyone there's no excuse so i'm not saying like well we can excuse it or explain it um 
there's just there's just a really sad story leading up to it that kind of sheds light onto why this happened right um and that clearly something needs to change or needed to change um so there's there's a lot of argument online about this as far as like well she was mentally ill but that doesn't excuse murder but someone should have helped her but also that doesn't give her the right so there's a lot of back and forth sure um and so part of the problem in my mind is that the two girls became kind of one like they became kind of linked in this story as like equal victims Mm. which i do believe they're victims in different ways but trang was just like stabbed to death by her roommate like she's right i just don't think her family thought it was fair to say oh they were both equally victimized do you know what i'm saying like no i totally get and also i mean i i mean i don't it's so hard to to talk about this it's like it's a tough spot because you want to respect the 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 person who died yes and did did not deserve that at all but i also think there is um space to talk about mental illness yes yes i i know that if you know fingers crossed this isn't how i go but if someone who was mentally unstable is the cause of my death one day i would want people to be able to like you know separate the situations and honor the fact that that i left but also like that doesn't mean that someone didn't need help or two really terrible things wouldn't have happened you know yes yes completely like they're not um they're not uh oh god now i'm forgetting the english word you know me and my english but uh they're not mutually exclusive i'd help but i I, i'd help but i also don't speak english very well so (laughs) that's true but no like uh, but like yeah i i mean it would because like if something happened to you i wouldn't want to feel like i wasn't uh taking the time to to focus on what had happened to you but i would also be aware that like had there been a system in place or a better a better way of going about things where we paid attention to the person who needed help yes then two people wouldn't be in a really right and dark space right now right exactly and they're not mutually exclusive in the way that there are two tragedies here or maybe even more that intertwined but aren't necessarily like hand in hand the same thing right and aren't necessarily completely separate it's like there's just a lot of tragedy woven into this on different levels but trying herself is a murder victim here and like that you know has to be recognized as well as far as i'm concerned so yeah exactly and so i'm just gonna read this quote because i think it is a good way of explaining it so in thernstrom's book she says a peculiar discourse developed on campus in which rather than being viewed distinctly as murderer and victim the girls were recalled in one breath as if their deaths were the result of some unfathomable blood rite, like a suicide pact Mm. about which no one could say who was to blame or where the evil lay so it's almost like they blurred as far as like the the perpetrator and the victim because there is the perpetrator was also a victim in a way right but on different levels um, so to a certain extent, I believe Harvard was to blame for what happened to Sinadu's devolving mental health, or at least not helping and not stepping in when they had a, a duty, in right. my opinion, to help. Um, so in 1999, the London Re- Review of Books reviewed Melanie's book and said uh, the Harvard administration were just protecting their own interests, basically, and that it seemed like no one took interest in Sinadu because they couldn't distinguish between psychotic behavior and Ethiopian behavior. <gasps> So they basically were saying like, well, they were foreigners and people just didn't know if they were foreign or if they were psychotic. It's like, that is so xenophobically horrendous. Like, I don't even know where to begin with assessing oh that my viewpoint. God. It's like, oh, well, we didn't know if we should like 
tend to murderous activity because that might just be was how they shake normal? hands in another culture. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fuck? Like, was that normal? You guys should. If that's what you, if that's what you genuinely think about Ethiopians, then why on? Sorry, like, why on earth did you have Ethiopians on your campus if you thought that they're just, you know, casually killing? Probably because it looked good for numbers and diversity. You know, it's like so you want all these people to join your school, and then you're like, anyway, good luck out there. Here, here's another Vietnamese also, if, student. Now you, you guys can get along. It's like, oh, yikes. If you really think people that you're inviting for the sake of diversity and numbers, if you really think they're more inclined to kill people, and then you're still only giving them no therapy. Or be two, psychotic. Right? And a two-hour orientation and saying, right. good fucking luck. First of all, you don't get to be shocked that something like this happened. And you don't get to yeah. feel sorry about it. But also, that's literally not how it works. That's like not even it's just an it's just a ridiculously pathetic excuse and a so pathetic defense that's horribly racist, a pathetic defense that doesn't stand doesn't hold water at all. Um, and so it's just pretty troubling. And the same review also talks about the racism in Trang's case, saying that university records show that Trang, in a mild-mannered way, seems to have sought help repeatedly to escape Sinadu's attentions. Here we go with the victim blaming. Ready? This part really upset me. Had she been Ugh. less sympathetic toward her increasingly disturbed roommate, she would have insisted on a change of rooms long before she finally did. Trang- so she... I'm sorry. So she didn't fight hard enough. No, no, she didn't. Yeah, she was too mild mannered of a lady to of a girl to. Um, so, you, so you teach people to like to you teach women to be sweet and kind and not people please, and then also oh well they people please too much and they didn't they didn't they really... should have st- stood up for themselves. Get, you're not gonna like this line. Trang too was doomed by her foreignness. She didn't express herself in ways who that... Who wrote this, my it's, great-grandpa? Right? Like, like it's really fuck? gross. She didn't express herself in ways that Harvard administrators understood. She was conciliatory and agreeable, and nobody bothered to understand her situation. It's like, okay. They couldn't what? understand that... She, I mean, it's... It's it's so trouble. It's so bad. It's like I don't even know how to begin. I mean, oh my god, that's. I like to think okay. everyone gasped I, with us when we read. I like that. to think there's a bunch of people screaming in their cars, in their cars right now, yeah. or like silently shaking in their office. Their like, cat just Ugh. ran away. Like what the yeah. fuck, mom? <laughs> wow, um. that is so fucking angering and it's like so infuriating because again it's just like lumping them together not just because they're both victims but because they're both foreign and it's like that on so many levels this is just egregiously disrespectful and so anyway this is the end i know this has gone really long but to sort of conclude um Apparently, there was discussion on campus about having a joint scholarship, which they called, which one uh, review called a macabre kind of political correctness, because they were like, let's just name the uh, scholarship after both of them, which is like, can you imagine her parents like learning that she and her murderer, her daughter and her murderer were linked in like the same scholarship. But there was a lot of debate over this. And um, apparently, eventually, they only picked or only created a scholarship in Trang's, Trang Ho's name, and it's now called the Trang Ho Public Service Fellowship. And then in 2000, a Crimson article noted the five-year anniversary of their deaths alongside discussion of additions to Harvard's offerings after the tragedy. 
So uh, UHS mandated, mandated that first-time appointments be scheduled within seven days, increased emergency hours and staffing, and changed its hours to better fit student schedules. In addition, mental health liaison tutors were installed in each house, and empty suites were set aside as safe places, which I also think is a really, really great addition to mental health offerings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is the story. It's, like I said, really, it's hard to say a a, um, a trigger warning because it's 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 the normal content, but it's just like ugh. really the trigger warning there was like fucking ignorance and racism. Yes, and being yes, an that too. I didn't even like, think to add that. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I just want to add, I don't, I didn't even write this in my notes, which now I'm embarrassed about, but um, I do want to list the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, and you can talk to somebody anytime, twenty four seven. You can also Google google a number or a website if you don't if you have phone anxiety like me and chat online um so yeah that's the story it's really dark it's really upsetting and it's not even that long ago you know 95 like and like not I kn- that long ago. i know you said this already but like quote people were different in the 90s but it's like first of all i have a lot of thoughts about that but if people were that different and we have changed that much in this amount of time then it's embarrassing that like we could have done that so much yeah well but you know i was thinking about this yesterday because i was like wow like because if you think like oh the 90s it doesn't seem that long ago but if you think about it it was like 30 years ago and so now you think like think about the 40s versus the 70s like the amount of like social change that happened in that time period or the 70s to the 2000s like if you think about it in that i think to us it doesn't seem long ago because we were alive but if you think about it in like historical context it's like of course things were different generations were growing up like it, it's really different no i totally i totally get it but yeah it's because we were alive because in my mind like all the darkest things that happened were when i wasn't here yet and it's like oh, <laughs> em arrived fuck. on a ri- on a sunbeam of light and the world and, changed and i saved boston no but like i <laughs> but no like I, it's hard Thanks, to, it's, priest. it's very um it's really sobering to realize like yeah. oh no i was alive during i mean like it's so obvious like yeah i was alive when dark shit happened i mean hello millennial like every fucking year something terrible we literally happens, lived but, through 9 <laughs> 11 but like it's just it's it's so much easier to separate yourself from it when you can blame it on the fact that it was forever ago and you weren't a different here generation you weren't you weren't you didn't have any control you were part it. of it yeah and yeah, now well it's, okay if you think about it like this the only reason that i've been kind of making this connection is that my sister's in high school now and she's only 14 years younger than me. And my, her high school experience compared to mine is so wildly different. She has friends who are trans. She has friends who are like, you know, all different backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic classes. And I'm just like, this was not how I grew up. This is not how my high school experience was. Granted, I went to a different high school, but it's just so cool to see like, oh, this is a completely different upbringing and like, you know, experience in school as a teenager. I was just thinking about this too, because my cousin was asking me about like, you know, being queer, you know, well, well, why didn't you come out when you were in high school? And I was like, you didn't fucking do that. Like there was no, oh, I'm just going to go tell my, I'm going to go down the fucking stairs and tell people like I'm gay or something. Like, you don't, no, 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 no. Like you waited until you graduated high school. So if you got kicked out of your house, you were already on your way somewhere else anyway. And like, you didn't know anybody else. They were like, well, didn't you have like role models? And I was like, 
No. Literally, you want to know the role model I had for uh, the gay community growing up was Rosie O'Donnell and the wife, the ex-wife of Ross on Friends. Those are the only two gay people <laughs> I knew. I remember when I was six, the 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 Ross's ex-wife on Friends was the gay conversation I had with my mom. Where and I was it like, was scandalous. I was like, what does gay mean? And I remember my mom giving a very short answer and like being like, Oh, sometimes it just wasn't relevant. <laughs> sometimes men love men, sometimes women love women. And then I and then I didn't hear about it again until I was in high school and thinking like, shit, I think I'm the ex-wife from Friends. Like, yeah, that it's a com- <laughs> all I fucking had. Hey, mom, like, remember that? <laughs> but it's it is wild when I think about it. And I mean, I don't want to say it like this, but when you're selfishly think putting yourself in the scenario, it it means more. And so I do think like, yeah, thirty years ago, like, do you know how much? better my fucking life would have been if I could have just come out and dated. I mean, like, there are reasons why I didn't even have a first kiss until I was, like, 19. And it was because I couldn't kiss anyone I wanted to kiss in high school. I mean, it's just wild that, like, I'm so happy for the future generations in in the queer world, but also I'm so fucking jealous of you. You have no idea how lucky you are. I just... But I feel like it's... Yeah, and I, again, I, mean, I want to be clear, too. I'm not saying, like, oh, well, it's so easy now to be, you know. No, I'm speaking specifically in my own world of, like, queer. I'm not even talking about, like, racism and all these, like, horrible things we've just covered. I just yeah. got into my own little tangent because I just had this conversation, like, 24 hours ago where I was like, wow, the world is so different. It's just so fascinating to see, like, my sister and be like, oh, she has such a broader view of the world and an understanding of of uh, social concepts because probably also increase in internet, increase in, like, connecting with people that you wouldn't normally see in your day-to-day life. And it's really, uh, yeah, it's sobering to be like, in the 90s, my mom was the nanny and it was mortifying to always have to explain that she was my mother and she was divorced so we weren't allowed to go to people's houses and I lived near the quote-unquote bad part of town so no one was allowed to come over. And it's just like, now I'm thinking like, my sister's like, who gives a fuck? And I'm like, you're allowed to swear? Like, I wasn't even allowed to say hell. Well, also, I was going to say, like, like your sister's generation is so much smarter than we ever were, too. Like, and maybe it's just because, like you said, like, there's, like, internet access and things yeah. that we didn't have at that age. But, like, I feel like anytime I talk to someone that's your sister's age, they just have so much more important shit to talk about than I ever did when I was that age. And I guess yeah. it really is just, like there's so much more access to just learning faster. And like, I feel like I'm a late bloomer in learning because so many people younger than us are just learning at, you know, just, it's just part of life now. And I feel like I'm catch playing catch up all the time. So it was like part of their upbringing and we had to do it on our own almost. Um, And that's obviously not like a blanket statement. I know a lot of people are not in that position, but just looking at my sister, it's just like such a different, I don't know, experience. And I think it's great. Um, I just, I have a lot of faith in, in I do too. Gen Z. I know a lot of millennials have like a, a little, a bitterness towards Gen Z just because. I think we're a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm jealous for all the right reasons though. Like I just wish I got to Same. be a part of that generation. Like no, I, and I think we all want to be. Yeah. I think we all want to be because looking at them, I'm like, damn, we were, I think we were the lot, we were like on the edge of like <laughs> socially understanding, but like, I think our parents, no offense, but I think like we got held, we either held ourselves back or got held back a little bit. And I think now it's so much more open and acceptable. And obviously well, like we were, people I are, think, yeah, again, it's like, uh, sorry, not to interrupt you, but like, I'm so on top of it with you of uh, like, I feel like we were raised by, yeah, boomers. And like, even if they thought that they were like the hippies that were going to save everyone, it's like, okay, but then you gave you raised us and like we didn't really have anyone to like 
to back us on all of our like our willingness for change and then gen z showed up and they're like no 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 everything you were thinking let's keep that going let's- yeah it's almost like they took all our like we're just sitting here going what's a mortgage and they're like give me the tiktok i'm going to change the world and we're like okay <laughs> like we're stuck i feel like we're like in uh arrested development of like we're kind of like supposed to be grown-ups but we're like no no we want to help the teens like i feel like we're in a weird position so anyway this is over three hours i'm sorry y'all uh and even and- me for editing but no but it's it's a it's a we're trying to say we think gen z is going to save us 30 years ago is shockingly different than what today was and i'm so glad fingers crossed that there are less issues than less issues like that that are so blatantly horribly racist i feel like well as a, i don't know as because a, 2020 kind of proved the opposite but yeah well and as it, yeah and as that, a as a as a as a globe hopefully we're all learning that like we should be fucking better than that at the very least yeah i mean at least there are some of us who recognize it which isn't enough but you know the winning team the winning team as i like to call it yeah anyway so on that note, anyway Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully uh, you've got some Gen Z's in your life who are helping you in your day to day just become better people. So uh, that's all that's all I've got. That's all I've just got too. Sorry this episode is long. Racism fucking sucks. Uh, sorry about racism. Also, my can bad. That be, can that be the title of this episode? Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, that was a really good story. It was definitely a thinker and a t- uh, conversation piece. For so sure. That was... It's a toughie. Um, so I hope I did it justice. But No, you did. I think you did. I think it was good. to. I mean, it's like really awkward conversations, but I think they're it's good to have. Them. Right. I guess so. those are the ones to have. Yeah. So good job. Well, good job, Christine. Thank you. And good job to you on the creepy UFO story. Um, if you guys want to find out more about us, you can go to thatswaydrink.com or follow us at ATWWD Podcast or The M. Schultz or X Teen Schiefer or Ooh Gross with three S's, not W's. And uh, otherwise, I think we're going to see you uh, soon for listener episode. Maybe that already yes. came out. Yes, I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. No, it comes out in two days. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Oh, okay. See you tomorrow for a listener's episode <laughs> if you want more of this content. Yikes. Yikes. And that's why we drink. Ah, the amount of times we say yikes. <laughs> <laughs>